I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch slash we love to watch. listen to our podcast slash this is even before that. We love to watch slash listen to our podcast slash let's the figure out lost the episode. The lost episode. Yes. Yeah, so if you're listening to this, uh, don't worry. You haven't traveled back into time when Aaron and Peter didn't know how to record. You have stumbled upon our lost pilot episode that we recorded over two and a half years ago now. And we wanted to, we wanted to release this kind of part of our September month of clearing out our, our archives. Uh, it is definitely a younger more innocent version of Pete and Aaron. I was just a, was strapping 33, 32 years old. Wow. Uh, Pete was four. Uh, I believe. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I was, I was still in my terrible fours. Oh yeah. They were terrible. Yeah. You got them in my terrible 27s. Oh, terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. So a couple things to note about this episode. One, our opening segment, which is about an hour of the episode, maybe a little bit longer, so you might want to skip ahead, <laughs> is us trying to do segments and kind of break the ice by coming up with names for the podcast. We we, we didn't settle on a name in this pilot episode. We then uh, settled on a, uh, another name for three months before we changed our name to We Love to Watch. Now, we we should say that when we say breaking the ice... This is not just breaking the ice for like our listeners or to figure out the podcast. Uh, if I, correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but we had never spoken before this. We had spoken over PlayStation for like 45 minutes on Bloodborne. It. Yeah, that's right. Yes. So we did like we a couple we times been... maybe on PlayStation, and then immediately decided that our. Uh, <laughs> Our, our presumed banter would be so good. The the sheer the banter. hubris of two white men that they <laughs> yeah. think that they that just you know the bantering on Facebook chat is enough we to justify people podcast. having to yeah. listen to this shit. That is that is the that is the that is basically marriage for people that aren't attracted to each other, but like have that level of relationship. <laughs> like we're we're basically in love. We live in different cities, and we already are in relationships. I guess podcast is the right level of commitment to go to this quickly. Mm-hmm. It's far more erotic than sex, I think. I mean, we talk about our dicks probably more than we do with our significant others. <laughs> I certainly hope so. <laughs> it rarely comes up. Uh, <laughs> I, oh, I'm sorry, pun not intended, but appreciated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, there's that. And then also... I, we didn't know we had never recorded anything. We didn't really know how that worked. So uh, Peter's audio might sound like it's from like the inside of a coffin. <laughs> yes. We tried our best to clean it up. But at the end of the day, we were recording it through my computer as opposed to doing two audio tracks that we do now. Uh, so I, I hope it's fun to hear a young Aaron and Peter stumble through their way through having a conversation about life. Superman 4. We also understand, uh, you know, it's it's beyond rough around the edges. I can't really listen to any of our episodes from the first six months because it's kind of embarrassing to me. And this one especially, I imagine, I am going to listen to it when we post it. But I imagine it's going to be... It's trying. It's going to be tough. It's, uh... <laughs> it is charming if you already like us, is what I'll say. And if not, skip it. Listening to this already counts as a listen for us. <laughs> so, yes, that's why. Yeah, you've already, you've already uh, paid your dues. Yeah. But if not, if you don't want to hear us, um, I, I, if I remember correctly, I think some of it's pretty funny, us trying to come up with names. Uh, we posted a bunch of the names it, once, it like, a year ago. 
And it was yeah. it was ridiculous how many we had come up with. Uh, and and Superman 4, obviously, it's us talking about a movie and trying to figure out a format. So, yeah, I, I hope you enjoy uh, Aaron, young Aaron and Pete's adventures. The adventures of Pete and Aaron getting to the mischief of the quest for peace. Enjoy. Or don't. <laughs> or don't. <laughs> Uh, that was the fade down. Oh, so, the fade down. The fade down. That is was. That one, the, is that a technical term you the, learned from uh, your DJ days? Yep, there was that. I also just moved the volume from right to left and down, essentially. So hi, That's everyone. Technical. I'm impressed. Yeah, um, I am Aaron Armstrong. I'm Peter Moran. And this is a podcast that we do not have a name for yet. <laughs> the Untitled Podcast Project. The Untitled. We're not stealing that from anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, as long as we also just reverse the name, pilot yeah. project. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that we're uh, just gonna do a tester episode here. Um, I'm really glad no one heard the last 29 minutes of us yeah. trying to get this going because it was, though historically important, probably very boring. Yeah, this will be a much studied document, I think. <laughs> Um, of how two people try to use basically free and simple technology um, to make a lot of money. To make a lot of money, yes. Um, not that we need money. Uh, I want to make that very clear. And also, if you do need stamps, uh, I'd recommend going to the post office. It's the only place I am aware of to get stamps. I've it's never, just a lovely place to get stamps. I've never, I, I've never heard of any other place, honestly. I, I I book entire Saturday, um, not Sunday because the post office is famously closed that day. I book an entire Saturday. I get up at eight a.m. Just power through, buy as many stamps as I can. They sell them in these things called books. Did you know that? Uh, no, I am familiar with books though. So if that comes up, okay, I know quite a lot about books. Also. I are the, is the post office still closed on Sunday because the mailman has been delivering to me for real on Sunday. So I don't know if my postman doesn't understand how days work or if they change something. <laughs> I think you're outing yourself as the old man here because I even I can't track the mail deliveries on those days, and I get uh, both of us get Netflix discs. That's probably my only way of really tracking when the the post office comes. Well, see, it's Amazon packages. Yeah, but that's USPS, man. Totally U- different. US, USPS or, is sorry, not UPS, the post sorry. office? <laughs> this is a podcast about uh, the mail service. And <laughs> but wait, wait, wait. But that's, what, UPS, that's what USPS is. is yeah. Amazon. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to live in uh, one of those zip codes that has same day, they actually have Amazon trucks for that. But USPS, I, I misspoke. Uh, get okay. used to a lot of that. Um, yeah. The USPS uh, delivers mail, and I've seen mail get delivered on Sunday. I think. Yeah, I've definitely gotten the USPS. This is this has been acronym corner. 
where, <laughs> where we learn where we learn uh, what acronyms mean. Do we have a theme song for Acronym Corner? Uh, no, but we can possibly dub that in if I know how to hit marks on here. That could be like a first. I it's think. our first first sidecast. Yeah. <laughs> Is Acronym Corner. No one has ever come up with that. Um, but yeah, so I think. The, so we we can the, talk. We even though that this is um, this is the pilot. Then theory, no one's going to uh, that no one's going to listen to except. Well, I would say except like my wife and your girlfriend. Except that even if we became a very successful podcast, I have serious doubts that they would ever listen <laughs> to any of these episodes. Yeah, back catalog, forward catalog. Current day catalog, all will go and listen to. Yeah, I, I have to. I they have to listen to us enough. I can't imagine them being like, "Oh, can I also listen to you and your jackass friend joke like my, about movies I don't care about on my commute?" Just like my only respite in my life is the yeah. ninety minutes I spend at the gym not listening to your voice. Yeah. So maybe I talk in my sleep, sleep too, so she doesn't even get that. Well, maybe she could like work out to it. Like, if yeah. she's going to the gym, just be like, this is what I'm running away from. <laughs> this is this is my motivation. <laughs> I think my voice is grating and, and enraging enough that that could just, just do it. I think it could get people going. Yeah. That's what I should start. It'll be like um, a motivation tape, but it'll their motivation will just be um, me trying to flirt with them in a bar. Just like, that'll be the whole tape. And just like properly motivated to sprint 10 times your normal pace like people will run marathons thanks to tapes of just me talking in a direct and intimate manner <laughs> well it have to be about specific stuff like i want to tell you about the texas chainsaw massacre too yeah not the first one the one that like you might actually watch i'm yeah. gonna get really into and then i'm just gonna segue into redneck porn or redneck porn yeah. totally different topic yeah uh, that's a segment porn, that's right? a segment for later <laughs> it's our it's our it's the redneck porn corner uh, <laughs> uh yeah so, that that's uh but yeah basically uh i imagine this will be mostly for us but um we spend most of our working day chatting anyway so i don't really see why uh what harm this could really do no and and that's actually we actually we met in um the dissolve facebook group i guess would be the way to put it yeah, 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 yeah. The community that sort of like f- fell off of and was formed from the remnants of the dissolve, and it, it, that was where I realized that was the point when, um, not to get too sappy, but that was the point like when the site went away. Lots of people were very sad about it, and those that were Facebook inclined, we lost a lot of people on the switch over, but those that were like Facebook inclined sort of joined together, um, and now it's like yeah, there's the like most- a. There's like a thousand of us now. Yeah, it's the most like fi- uh, feed dominating group ever. Just people are posting shit all day long. Um, so it's very fun. It's a very solid group. Um, but uh, and that's where yeah, that's where where we started chatting. And that was one of those things where I was like, oh, we agree on everything to a strange degree, which <laughs> might make might make parts of this podcast really fucking boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, we started talking about, oh, discussing this, discussing that, stuff we disagreed about, and we're like, hey, every other jackass has a podcast. Why can't we be those jackasses? <laughs> like, we can do that just as easily as anyone else. Um, 
This is essentially just going to be a record of our friendship, I guess. <laughs> just to make sure it actually happened. If it, if it was if it's not recorded on uh, shitty MacBook speakers, then it didn't happen. Yeah, I imagine that even if we were like, we're going to release our lost episode, that in general people are going to find this unlistenable <laughs> based on quality. Are there ever any lost episodes that are worth watching? Um, the Mr. Show one. The Mr. Show one? Yeah. Um, that's it. <laughs> usually, usually, especially like those... Oh, ones. oh, no, 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 the the Muppet Show original pilot. Oh really? Oh, uh, did it was that have, like fucked up Muppets or something? Yeah, it was. Like, it was called. It, it was called sex, sex and violence. Oh yeah, I vaguely know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's. It, it was when it was geared towards adults, but it's like all the same characters. It was on the. It was on that first season DVD of the Muppet Show, which um, I imagine most people frequent often. Yeah, most people own that. I think. I think basically, when you get a new system. First thing you get is probably like a James Bond movie, maybe Christopher Nolan. <laughs> I, I, I got Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow Never, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then the next thing you get is Jim Hansen television shows from the seventies. <laughs> it is kind of like it has this weird. Uh, I'm going to use this word this word incorrectly. It has a weird triggering uh, effect on me. It's just a term I've been using for a long time that now means something completely different. But it, yeah, I use it all the time because I'm a gun enthusiast. But uh, <laughs> uh, that's first thing people need to know about you. Yeah, is your your menagerie of weapons. Yeah, I like shooting people. Please, I mean, I like don't don't come rob my house. But you know, come you can come rob my house. Um, I sit up at night, and I just I just point guns at things and hope. Just like because of castle laws, you just like having micro purges. Yeah, every night. No, I just I just literally I walk around the house at night. I point a gun at every window, just in order, just hoping that I just see a face reflected back. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it should be noted that um, everyone in your family is was has been horribly maimed, like kneecaps blown out. Oh yeah, no, it's yeah, and also the trees in my yard are destroyed because with rounds. Yeah, when I because I'll tell you what, if you are staying up every night and pointing guns at darkened windows, trees look a lot like human faces. And you love shooting human human faces. I love shooting human faces. It's (laughs) my yeah, it's my thing. If I had a dating profile, it'd be like (laughs) long walks on the beach. I like to shoot some human faces. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, I um, my dating profile would just be um, uh, not a virgin. Just let people know right away. Well, and that's a good segue. You know, I almost wanted to preface this show with like, look, our segues in real life talk are terrible, so I can't imagine them being better on this show. But that was a good segue because. We don't have a name for this podcast. We have to come up with something. We have to come up with something. And that is, we haven't told each other uh, our suggestions. That was the one that you did tell me that you were kind of shooting for. Yeah, it's a, it's becoming a sort of mantra. Um, but yeah, Not a Virgin is just like a classic podcast uh, concept. Um, <laughs> that That's a class that most people that have recorded a podcast are, are not a virgin. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Based, this, on, this, based on a lot of them that I listen to, it's hard to tell. This changes everything about Kids Corner. <laughs> I have a hard time believing that 
um, the one podcast that I listen to, uh, I think it's called Hollywood History. Oh, it's called, um, shit, I got this right here. Hollywood Handbook? Not Hollywood Handbook. They're definitely not virgins. Um, you could tell by the way they talk. A Secret History of Hollywood, A Modern Guide to the Golden Age of Cinema. Oh, yeah, um, I've, I've listened to that one. Yeah, the fact that there's a man out there that, that has been, I think he recorded like, Somewhere in the neighborhood of five to eight hours. Yeah, yeah they're like uh, seven, eight, yeah, seven-hour episodes. I have a hard time believing, like, regardless of personal charm, because he has a great host, I have a hard time believing that he has time to have sex with anything. And that, or do that, anything else. At the final episode, that will be revealed as the secret history part. <laughs> the secret is, is that I've wasted my life talking about Universal Monster movies um, <laughs> when I could have been having sex. With, you know, I was going to say females, but, you know, someone. Anything. Anything. <laughs> Something. Any, anything that says yes. Yeah. Um, so but, uh, so how, do you want, how do you want to do this? Do you want to just read your name? I don't want to do like a back and forth because I know we said three and then I came up with uh, more than three. So I think you have more ideas than me, but my first one was not a virgin where we interview people who uh, are not virgins. Well, and, and well, we just, well, hold on. We're just we're just looking for a title. We already oh, yeah. kind of have the concept. Um, I'm confused now. What are we planning on talking about today's episode? Uh, we are planning to talk about Superman Four: The Quest for Peace, a movie that tons of virgins have probably watched. <laughs> I am gonna say something right now. I like my idea better of just interviewing people who have had sex. Yeah. <laughs> First guest, both of our parents in one room. We could interview each other, although I'm the only one that has any definitive proof that I I've reproduced. Yeah, you, you gotta have proof. Yeah, the way I talk is is could probably pass in a court of law as um, evidence against against it. But but, uh, but the only thing about you is the way that you walk. So, but um, my ideas for. Um, the podcast my primary one was inspired by um a blog that i briefly ran i really really liked and then uh like every other blog in the world it fell to shit which hopefully doesn't happen with this podcast which was um uh just garbage day garbage day garbage day because i think what we'll lean towards in the content of this is not necessarily not necessarily good or bad movies because that's kind of betrays the point this is one thing i'd like to do is talk about movies as these sort of unique objects and not as good or bad because i think like star rating both of us kind of agree that star rating metrics are like only useful as shorthand convenience and like have no real bearing on anything because like you can't compare two different movies on any objective scale so Garbage Day, I thought, was kind of a fun a fun way of, like, assessing movies with sort of, like, an even hand um, and digging through a lot of movies that, like, people either love or hate and sort of playing a little bit of a, a um, redactive history with it um, in some cases or agreeing with the consensus in other cases. So Garbage Day was my, my best idea title for a podcast. I like that. I'd give it three out of five stars. <laughs> um, no, I really do. I do like that. And um, I think it's not just, you know, the other thing that we've we've talked about discussing is stuff that 
is new to both of us. And I still think that would fit with the theme of Garbage Day because a lot of times I don't know what's in my garbage specifically. So, you know, there's times when you dig through it, you'd be like, oh, you know, shit, we had Fritos. I didn't even know, didn't even know we had bought Fritos. And now here's this Frito bag. I got no Fritos. So I, no free, I just have a bag. I just have this empty Frito bag. This is useless it's to me. Expired almost, in '97. But that bag is not useless because you can put it in the microwave, and you can um, make a podcast it. out of it. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, I think the the idea of us discovering stuff is great because yeah, you never know what you're going to find in the garbage. Yeah. Especially if you have um. They have a name. They have. I do. Yeah, they have. A, they have a name for people that go in, they search into garbage, and that's trash humpers. I think. <laughs> I've said this before, but my but I like the movie. I've never seen that movie, but I like the movie in my head much better than probably the real movie. It feels really short. It feels like you'd only watch it for like five minutes. Like I got, <laughs> got it. Yep, <laughs> got it. Got to clean up. Done with trash humpers. I want you to finish out your your list of. I oh, I haven't even start, I haven't actually started my. Yeah, list. I want you to give me your list of. Okay, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ideas. I'm gonna try to go quick because a lot of these are terrible. And, like, I wouldn't want to use them, but I just started writing down stuff. The worse, the better. That's what okay. I always say. So, I still like this one, which is Ask a Seasoned Medical Professional. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, it's, important, it's important to have your podcast be really upfront, And at the end, we'll just tell people it's, you know, athlete's foot. You gotta, just, you gotta be very clear. It's athlete's foot. There's nothing more intense than that. Yeah, we'll just talk about Superman 4. And then at the end... Be like, and if you're listening, you probably have athlete's foot <laughs> or lupus. <laughs> this reminds me of a recent adventure I went on in um, me being uh, anxious, but also kind of uh, stupid. <clears throat> and it was, uh, I hit my head at a bar on a shelf that was right above a toilet. And it was just like the back of my head. It wasn't hard enough for me to lose consciousness or anything but on monday i felt out of it and like kind of annoyed and sleepy so like you were hung over yeah so <laughs> punchline is that uh i have add uh i didn't want to be at work at all uh, i was annoyed because people were asking me annoying questions and uh i was also a little bit sick and hung over so like all of those things, I probably could have come to the conclusion well before smashing my head, which is just the sort of stuff that we can clear up on Ask a Seasoned Medical <laughs> Professional. Yeah. Don't blame the shelf. <laughs> don't blame the shelf. Yeah. I'm so, like, I don't even know what was in that shelf. Like, maybe reserved toilet paper or something, but I'm going to guess it didn't need to be at head smashing height. No, that's a, especially at a bar. I will say, though, how fucking. Amazing would it be to release a podcast called Ask a Seasoned Medical Professional um, that the tagline is, don't blame the shelf. And then on the first episode, all we talk about is Superman 4. <laughs> like, everyone would be like, there's, there's clearly an error in iTunes. I don't know what this is. Can iTunes relabel? Like, how does this work? I do want to see if we can get our show like horrifically mislabeled in the in the iTunes store. Well, I, I have to imagine I'm I'm going to get there, but I have to imagine the one 
thing that I did tell you about, I have to imagine that the reason that that's not already a podcast name is because iTunes doesn't allow it. Because I can't be, I'll, I'll just skip to it, I can't be the first person who has thought of casturbating. You can't. Like, it's too good. It's, it's just there. It's like a, it's like you walk into a room and there's just a buffet and you're not at a Golden Corral. It's like a good buffet. So I've, like never, a, been to a, I've never been to a Golden Corral. So like a Bonanza Corral. good buffet. Is there ever been a good buffet? I don't think. Maybe if you have a wedding. Yeah, if they, you have a wedding yeah. and like it, you get it like the moment it comes out. Yeah, if they made it specifically for you and your friends, it's probably okay. Yeah, so like theoretically in a universe where buffets aren't all just dried out dog shit uh, under heat lamps. Theoretically. That would be the first thing, sitting there. <laughs> I got you, you I got your back. There's, there's just a buffet <laughs> sitting there, and that buffet is castrating. Oh, yeah, not, I mean, not everyone's going to put it back. Some people are going to look at it and be like, hmm, castrating. I had that for lunch. No, thank you. No, I'm, I'm going to go for the comedy bang bang right next to me, and then that's their name. But, like, someone would have grabbed it. All right, I gotta, I gotta keep going with these. So this, this one I actually kind of like. This is not, this is not the worst. I would only like it if we did not do it Mondays. But <clears throat> Monday morning hot takes. I do love my hot takes. Yeah, um, I mean that's not really what we're doing as hot takes, but I think I can, ma- I can do it. I can shift perspectives. Well, I can make myself more of a hot taker. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to necessarily shift perspectives, but, but I do think that in general what we're doing is just like discussing movies is probably the hottest take out there without giving some sort of like, like this isn't the canon where like they like immediately say we're basically, we're never watching this again or whatever. You know, I think just being in general looking for positives and negatives is the biggest hot take that you could have at this point. That's true. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Basically like, the hottest take that you can do yeah. is to not do a hot take. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this this is the one that I said that if we picked, everyone would assume that you would that you had thought of the name, and that's the uh, Adventures of Pete and Not Pete. That's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. It really gets down to the core of what the show is about. <laughs> a guy named Pete and a guy named not Pete. not me. Yeah. I had a, a podcast featuring one guy you like and another guy. Um, uh, I mean, like I've heard, I've heard stories about different bands where they're like, it's like the big guy and the sharks, and like the sharks are pretty happy about being sharks. Yeah, but like you know, as long as big guy lets them sing on a few tracks, I just you know, in every podcast where it's a duo, you kind of always like one person a little more. So it's true. So I liked of just acknowledging that, but not putting a label. Like, I'm not going to tell you who your favorite is out of us two, but you're going to know what it means for you when yeah, you listen. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. It's like, do you want the, like, handsome, snappy, um, just endlessly charming dude who, uh... Or do you want Peter? And says, um, a lot. Yeah, or do you want Peter? Or do you want some <laughs> jackass that interrupts... Wonderful setups. Yeah. I'm hoping that this, this is actually just therapy for me to stop saying like. Because I'm hoping we become popular and every comment is just, oh, that guy says like constantly. <laughs> um, 
All right, so I have, I have this. This one was like five minutes of me internally going, "Should I write this? Should this be something that I say?" And then ultimately deciding, "Fuck it." So it's farts and entertainment. It's perfect. Yeah, I don't even. Let's just move. Let's just move on. It's perfect. Um, I have. It, speak, it speaks for itself. Yeah, and, like farts. They do. They they literally <laughs> speak a, for themselves. Um, that is a subject verb and. Yeah. An object it is it's right there. Yep. I have diners, drive ins and dives, but for movies. It's perfect. <laughs> it, it perfectly describes what we do. Yeah. Um no, will not get sued. Um I can't imagine how. I got clear eyes, clean earbuds. That's great. Everybody loves clear earbuds. Yeah. Clear earbuds. Well, you can't say it, so I think that one's out. I can't say a lot of words. (laughs) (laughs) If I stopped doing things because I couldn't pronounce them, I wouldn't do much. Um, I have the uh, invasion of the podcasters, which I don't... Like, that that feels like not good. (laughs) Yeah. It, like, it serves its purpose, though. Yeah. Uh, insert it implies we're gonna take on like genre stuff and yeah, I just really hate it. Like it's it's the type of thing that I would roll my eyes at, you know. Yeah, that's uh, true. But in, the insert clever title podcast. That's pretty good. Um, this this is all based on a joke that would not last, which is the cool duds podcast where. For we make a whole narrative around the fact that we typoed our website registration and purchase. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I think, and, and I think, you know, eventually the audience would grow to accept us for um, being illiterate. We're, tra- we're trying to earn that E. <laughs> okay? In your hearts, we want to be the cool dudes. <laughs> Even if our website is the cool duds. The nice thing will be when you'll know exactly when we're corporate sellouts because we'll finally acquire we'll add that e. cool dudes. Yeah, we'll add the E and you'll be like, they were cool back when they didn't know how to spell. Yeah. Back back when they were the duds. They were the dudes in my heart. <laughs> uh, they were theoretical dudes. Yeah. Literal duds. <laughs> uh, that's very meta. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I have the Podfathers, which is probably a podcast, to be honest. I feel like we should search that one because I can totally imagine a parody cover with the black uh, black background and a suit and a microphone or something. All right, I'm searching Podfathers. This is exciting. Oh, no, there's absolutely one called the Podfathers. There's actually two. There's the Podfathers and the Podfathers podcast. Why don't... They just combine and make one bad podcast together. Uh, yeah, I don't know. In what, a sort of one, cartel. One is society and culture, and one is educational teaching. Oh. As opposed to uneducational teaching, <laughs> I guess. Where you just learn the wrong facts to stuff. I don't, yeah. Like, I'm going to talk at you, and I don't want you to comprehend any of this because it's bullshit. We I could... Oh, sorry. We we could do like the the old uh, cartoon solution, which was like we could be the real Podfathers, like I said, the real Ghostbusters when the when that's filmation. Perfect. Yeah, I, I remember being. A, that's one of those things that, like, I think when they put it out, there must have been after some sort of like 
courtroom dash, well, not courtroom, but like a sort of a boardroom sort of limbo where people were like bouncing around, like, how do we make more money out of this? And like, well, we can't show, there's only one Ghostbusters and then eventually two. Like, we can't show um, Ghostbusters on Saturday mornings because it's not really like a kid's kid's movie. I mean, I watched it a thousand times when I was a kid. Let's make a cartoon of it people aren't that crazy about and call it the real, like, what sort of cloying attempt at legitimacy is calling something so, the, the real Ghostbusters? So first off, uh, you you do not know why it was called the real Ghostbusters. You're factually inaccurate of what happened. Uh, this And two, that cartoon was awesome. So this is was it awesome. This yeah. Was it, was it ecto cooler awesome, where it's actually not? I, awesome, I think I think it's really good. Memory. I think I think that's a podcast episode. I actually have the first season on DVD. So it's good. Yeah, yeah. There's an HP Lovecraft episode. Oh really? Yeah, it's re- you know I mean for kids, it's still a kids cartoon. I mean I loved it as a, I loved it as a kid. I had a, a sleeping bag of the real Ghostbusters, but that was mostly because I wanted just more Ghostbusters stuff. Yeah, I had. Uh, I liked Dino Riders because I liked yeah Jurassic Park. That what you know yeah. I had I had Ghostbusters uh, the real Ghostbusters cartoon sheets on my bed in college. That's hundred percent true. I bought them off eBay. They weren't even my sheets. Oh man, that makes the Ghostbusters theme even dirtier. Yeah. Does Busta make you feel good? Don't get me wrong; these sound awesome. Yeah, I still have them. Uh, we'll put them on our podcast website. A thing that we totally have. Take <laughs> a picture of my sheets. I can set up a website. I've done a. I, I made a Squarespace site that I eventually took down because I. Didn't feel like self-promoting anymore. Wait for them to contact us. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. It was fast and easy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going to fulfill my website needs. Yeah. Um, Oval area. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you, so you, you outbid someone um, – for the real Ghostbusters sheets, and then you acquired you acquired them. Acquired them. So, but also, it's called the real Ghostbusters because there was a filmation cartoon in the seventies called the Ghostbusters, and they weren't allowed to use the name for the cartoon. Oh well, I mean, where were you when I was seven? Well, I didn't know that one. Well, when I was seven, let me see. Well, <laughs> I was having acne breakout, so that's where I was <laughs> when you were seven. You were too concerned. With, yeah, and. Be, uh, and Making yourself presentable to leave the house to explain to a young, precocious seven-year-old well, well, why yeah. it's called the real Ghostbusters <laughs> yeah. when they're cartoons. Uh, uh, all right, so I have I have one more. So, yeah, <laughs> so I have my wife threw up a suggestion. I am going to say it's keeping up with the Armstrong slash Morans, like or Dash. It's pretty good. We just have I to mean, come up with a way to combine our names or something. Yeah, everyone would assume. Everyone would assume I think it's a keeping up with the Kardashians podcast, though. That is true. In terms of uh, like the invasion of the podcasters is yeah. is is kind of silly, but like it communicates the idea at a base level. I mean, we don't know that 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 one seems like pretty easy grabbing up there with caster baiting. Although again, it's pretty good. Caster baiting is top notch. It might affect our level of sponsors. That well, see, I. I, I have to assume that the reason that that's not shown... There is no invasion of the podcasters. I will say that. How? How is there not like a Mystery Science Theater-themed one? We yeah. don't have a theme, too, so I don't know if honing ourselves in. Unlike <laughs> 1950s sci-fi is, a, is the best target, but like somebody should have that name. Um, um, yeah. So the last things I have is... 
and this is really stupid, but I found a random project name generator, like for for work projects. Huh. That's um, awesome. It. I mean, you should listen. First of all, about fifty percent of them are snake related. Um, I don't uh, know why. Naturally. I didn't even write any of them down that were snake related, just because it was too much snakes. Like, I get it. Random project generator. Um, but to give you a sense, so it's like disappointed weather was one. Uh, That's pretty good. Random scissors, husky lucky parachute, uh, serious. Mo- I'm pretty sure I drank a husky lucky parachute last week. Is that and then you hit your head on a shelf? <laughs> <laughs> And now you have lupus. Yeah, now I have lupus. <laughs> um, oh, no. Frozen moose. Like, Rainbow Global Screwdriver was was a weird one. There was actually two that I kind of liked, though. Uh, Serious Morning. I don't know why. And and probably more on point, Essential Artificial. Essential Artificial. Yeah. It's pretty good. I don't mind it. And it's not embarrassing to tell people. No, and it's probably... Um, it's probably a website we could buy, which also is going to play a factor. Actually, it is, because I looked that one up. It is a website that we can buy. That's perfect. And it's funny, because these project names, it's like, what purpose are they serving? Like, is this for work projects? Yeah, that's, I mean, like, yeah, code names for projects. We have a team at work that's called the Tiger Team, and it's, like, supposed to be this, like, fast-acting team. And, like, the day that I found out that they didn't turn tiger into an acronym and they're just using it as like tiger because tigers are fast i was like you guys fucked up so much it could have been a cheetah could have been it could, it could have not even been a tiger it could have been like an impala are tigers like the fastest i'm just I mean, happy we're doing another episode of acronym corner <laughs> acronym corner <laughs> how is like how is tiger not an acronym you guys like you could have been an evil bond organization. Yeah, it's 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 consonant vowel consonant vowel consonant. I mean, that's what acronyms are made for. It's it's a perfect acronym. Yeah, word. and you could even turn like one into a Y or some shit. I don't know. Um, or or T I E if you need an E for some reason. <laughs> See, just like falling in your lap. Yeah, it's so frustrating. No, but, that's. Um, I guess it, I guess it's the type of people that like would name their project boiling uranium based on this or risky crossbow oh god risky crossbow is pretty good most crossbows i find are risky yeah i think that's kind of one of the that's almost a word you don't need associated with a crossbow because <laughs> like even loading a crossbow that's and risk, firing risky. it without a bolt that sounds risky right yeah i mean like my guns that i point in directions um, you know, should point out that we should point out that you you're, you don't think the Second Amendment covers uh, crossbows. No, I don't. It says arms. I mean, you need two arms to carry a crossbow. Um, you you need to be able to hold your arms with just one of them. It, I couldn't have said it better myself. It's, yeah, it's it's you know, I'm a uh, I'm a, a constructionist. To <laughs> <laughs> to a T. To a T. That's what they are, right? Constructionists. Yeah, you're you're a strict constructionist. Strict constructionist. Uh-huh. Um, now, no one agrees. I've gone to so many courts. No one agrees with my interpretation of this. I'm not going to stop saying it to everyone I meet. Uh, Walmart greeters, especially. They love hearing about it. But yeah. enough. Yeah. Crossbow should be banned. But if you can hold an AK-47 in one arm, you should be able to have that for personal use. For anything. You for wanna, anything. Yeah. Any purpose. You want to cook bacon that way? Like a presidential candidate? That's how oh, you cook Jesus. bacon. Christ, I forgot about that. Can you think of like 
can you say, like, I hate being one of those people that, like, talks about idiocracy on the regular, but, uh, can you imagine... You've like, just, more... you've just lost half of the dissolve. I know. <laughs> <laughs> can you think of a more, like, on the point, on the, like, on point criticism of, like, a pandering politician that just, like, comes out and is like, I'm gonna do something cool with guns and make an internet video. Even but, like Bobby Jindal even went and met like the Duck Dynasty guys. Yeah, like, well, John Kerry. Do you remember? Oh, I don't know if you remember two thousand four. That's <laughs> that's maybe when you were wondering about what why it was called the real Ghostbusters. But uh, I was too like, young to vote in two thousand four. Yeah, John Kerry was out there hunting too. Like even the even the Democrats have to go, you know, show that they also have penises that work. Because <laughs> I don't think it scares off. To be like, clear, I am very supportive of this as a gun enthusiast. <laughs> I know I sounded for a second like I was dismissing the fact that John Kerry had done it, but ju- just to be clear, I'm I very I'm very proud that he did that. There is there's no way that this podcast could fail more than if it didn't bring to attention the fact that you're a guns right activist every three to five minutes. Yeah, I think ideally three. Really, instead of like commercial breaks. We should just cut to me shooting off my guns. Everyone loves just the sound of weapons. It's just like comforting. It's like white noise. Well, and hopefully they'll hear me. The more automatic, the better. I mean, hopefully they hear me shoot a robber or something that's looking out the window. Because I'm I'm recording this right by windows, and I've been looking with my gun just pointed at the window for the last hour. Yeah, I mean, robbers don't podcast. No, they don't, and they do get chopped by my guns. <laughs> Robbers never sleep. Robbers Ho- never podcast. Hopefully, hopefully. I mean, you know, for legal purposes, not hopefully, but yeah, no problem. You know, you can't see me winking on a podcast, but that's what I'm doing. I'll put, I, I'll put a wink in the show notes. A wink emoji. I've also slightly Everyone looks at show notes while they listen to podcasts, so I don't see why. That work. <laughs> yeah, I've also slightly. Uh, Dipped into a southern accent, while ta- I don't. I don't think it's possible to talk about guns and not. I was thinking about this the other day. Get a little like, lilt. I was thinking about this the other day that like, it's probably kind of shitty that like my concept of what a bumpkin is always has a southern accent. But like the one thing that like southern people do, like southern conservatives specifically have that like is on their side is. Can you think of like? that many positive portrayals of Southerners in movies that aren't also a little bit, like, condescending. It's always, like, it's always, like, a bumpkin or a racist or, like, a, a shit heel in a bar or, like... Or the heroes um, of the Civil War, depending how far you go War. back. <laughs> Sorry, I meant anything post-Civil War. Okay. Like, it's always... And I was thinking about it, and I think the only positive... I think the most positive portrayal of a southern person in any media is probably um, Banjo from Banjo-Kazooie. Yes. He seems like, he's a bumpkin, but he seems like a nice guy. I mean, your definition of people seems a little off, but, you know, I hear you. I mean, bears are, bear people are people. He <laughs> pants. He's not a total bear. He does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and he doesn't wear a shirt, so he's southern. <laughs> and he punches like a wuss. Yeah. He, he can't does. run on all fours. And he's got a bird. Got a pet bird. He's got a pet bird. Oh, so he's just like he's like from Austin. He's like a hipster bear. <laughs> so like, I have an exotic pet, and I wear jeans, <laughs> tight fitting jeans. 
<laughs> All right. So what have we have we not settled? Should we not settle on anything? Probably on yeah. this podcast. We'll we'll we'll, we'll screaming out of the gate next week with. Uh, yeah, we'll talk thing. about it. Yeah. I uh, um, I got a few that I like though. So yeah, I, I I think we came out of this pretty positively. Um, but yeah, so I uh, but yeah, so I had some some show concepts. Okay, go through that. Yeah. Uh, just just one one that I think is worth sharing, and it's um, so we had not a virgin where we interview people who are not virgins, and then we also had uh, TGI Jeff, which, <laughs> is, which is a uh, podcast uh, where we interview various Jeffs. Um, I'm not going to discriminate if your name is spelled spelled differently. Sorry, my dog just ran up to me, and it really startled me. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we interview various Jeffs and just ask them how they're going. Like, how's it going? You know. I think that's good. I think, and I said this to you before. I think we don't know enough Jeffs. <laughs> yes, it would be a mini podcast, like a, a special event podcast, you know, okay. like only only the big the big sponsors for this one, you know. I mean, in the world the of Super Facebook, Bowl. I mean, we could just send invites to Jeffs and see if they want to be on a podcast discussing Jeff life. I think if I sat down and even named like Jeffs I don't know, but like know of, I could maybe hit 12. I don't, I don't know if I can go that high. Sorry, 12, 12, 12 that I'd actually even want to talk to. Yeah, I want to talk to it might even go down to eight. Honestly, and this may just be because I'm I'm on the spot with Jeff names, but the only Jeff I could think of was my dad's boss at a radio station in the early 90s. No, wait, two. And, and someone I was friends with in college. I have an uncle named Jeff who has an alpaca farm, and uh, I think it would be a great podcast episode. Mostly alpaca-focused. Um, he lives in Wisconsin. He's, he's a pretty good Jeff. Well, you know, Solid Jeff. we'll let the podcast audience be the judge of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he might not be asked to come back after yeah, uh, the th- first episode if he doesn't, if he's not all that illuminating on the alpaca industry. Well, if we can find other Jeffs, we're going to be forced to <laughs> keep bringing the same Jeffs back. It is funny when you listen to podcasts that you like early on and they bring back like shitty guests over and over again and you're like... Not to say my uncle Jeff would be a shitty guest. He'd be a terrific guest. The audience would love him. But uh, are you worried about Jeff listening to this? Yes. Okay. Like too worried. Like I might make you delete this because it wasn't all that Jeff friendly. I mean, does he go out and like while he's watering his alpacas, um, he just listens to podcasts, make sure they're facing the sunlight. It's true. Yeah, he mostly listens to podcasts that aren't listed in the iTunes store. He's very... He mostly listens to podcasts that are on recorded onto um, your computer. So that's why you asked for all that VPN information. It's true. <laughs> you really needed it. Jeff, Jeff needs to listen. <laughs> but yeah, so um, TGI Jeff was my, my basic show concept idea. But uh, returning to basic concept of what we wanted to make today about um i think we should sort of transition what do you say yeah let's do it um so the point of the this show um is and what our starting group of episodes are before we later specialize into sort of special episodes is we're going to discuss i think underserved movies not necessarily 
movies with a cult behind it, not necessarily movies that are super obscure, but like movies we think are worth chewing on and discuss them as these sort of unique art objects. Like the, the core concept is that everything is art and it could be good art or bad art, but uh, it's worth discussing as its own independent weird thing. Cause even something that might seem like a generic cash in, or might seem like a super unique art film has commonalities and has um, very strange, unique things to it. And I think this movie, which uh, Aaron suggested, uh, has a lot of surprisingly strange things in it, but not things that come through in normal American cheapo knockoffs. Well, not knockoffs, cheapo cash-ins. Well, and actually, um, you know, one thing that I didn't know, and I did suggest it because... You know, we try to want to. We've talked about oscillating between stuff that either one of us has seen and wanted to introduce to the other person, or thought there's something worth there, uh, or stuff that neither of us have seen, but we feel like there's something meaty on that bone that really, really hasn't been discussed. And 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 so that was kind of you know we we we. I, Peter has a lot more of a knowledge of the canon type movies, and I kind of avoided those focusing more on like the AFI types lists and have only more recently got kind of obsessed with these 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 kind of passion projects of people that didn't have anything close to the talent or the budget to to basically fulfill that. And so I suggested Superman 4 because it was a it was a canon movie. I didn't know when I suggested that that uh and Peter you can say that you've never seen another Christopher Reeve Superman movie. I have. I realized the other day that I've seen parts of three with Richard Pryor and turned it off because I was like so horrified by it. There's like I have a weird thing that'll probably offend people. Uh, this is not an episode of Hot Takes. Uh, that I don't think Richard Pryor is all that funny on film, and that he's like such a powerful stand-up figure that like in his his performances and stand up are so wonderful that seeing him in film just always feels like it's kind of a waste. Yeah, I know like, I don't I don't think you're going to find that many people actually. I mean, ask someone to think of like Stir Crazy and stuff. Like Stir Crazy is okay. I kind of and I have some affection for Brewster's Millions, but they they're the they're the epitome of not like this is a hilarious comedy. It's like, oh, this is amusing yeah <laughs> i am amused by what's going on i like watching john candy i like watching richard pryor like th- those are the almost all of his movies fall into that weird 80s subgroup of like great comedies that that legitimately have maybe one or two laugh out loud funny things yeah there's there's this thing where like a lot of my favorite movies are from the 80s and not from a nostalgic thing because i'm not an 80s kid at all but a lot of my favorite movies are from the 80s but like there's this sort of these late 70s, 80s comedies, a lot of them have this sort of, like, sweaty quality to them. Yeah. Where it's, they're, the joke, a lot of the jokes feel very forced, and... Well, and they're not even going for jokes all that often. Yeah, mean, it's going sort of like a tenor. Yeah. A tenor of humor. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's a very strange thing. I'm not saying that, it's not really a generalization about late 70s, 80s, uh, late 70s, you know, early 80s comedies, but, like, uh, there are quite a few of them that you catch, especially in, like, Comedy Central Midday, where you're just like, there's so many comedians in here and so few jokes. There's less jokes than there are a number of great comedians in these, in this movie. And I love Gene Wilder, so the idea of Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor being teamed together sounds amazing, and then you actually get them in the movie, and you're like, oh. 
but uh, I don't remember where we started. Well, I oh, so we, we you yeah you, I, yeah we started talking yeah. about Richard Pryor, and I got into how I, I caught part of three on TV, and I really really hated it, and I just basically shunted the rest of the series, which is probably unfair because now Richard Donner directed the first one, and I'm and kind probably, of and kind of the second one, and kind of the second one, and they even have gone back and like released something resembling a director's cut of his stuff. Yeah. Not like 100% because he was kicked off the set, I believe. Um, but I'm a, uh, I'm one of the few people that would consider themselves like a Richard Donner fan. <laughs> Most people think of him as like sort of like a, a, a four-hire director for like yeah, but 90s he, movies and late, late 80s movies. I mean, he had a lot. He's, you know, this is a podcast episode at some point, I think, but like the amount of directors that were like released amazing movies or very good movies in the 80s and 90s and then like fell apart somewhere in the late 90s and then never made a good movie again and then or never made a movie again that list is huge yeah it's true i don't know what happened with filmmaking and that's kind of a little bit at some point i want to discuss because so i i'll say i saw superman 3 first as well actually and I had a sleepover when I was in elementary school. I just liked Superman. I wasn't really following it. I think I wanted to play Ninja Turtles on Nintendo. So I was less into watching the movie. And then uh, Superman 1, or Superman the movie, they had at the library that was two blocks from my house that I could rent for free. So I saw that like, you know, 30, 40 times. Um, and I loved it. And I don't think I saw Superman 2 till I was probably in... High school, and I love that. Uh, and then never, you know, I've actually owned the set for years, and I never watched this one based on reputation. Yeah, I mean, you usually buy the set because you're like, oh, I can get the ones that I really like for cheap. And then you're like, ah, I'll, I'll get around to those later entries, and half the time you don't. I recently got around to, I got a, the Planet of the Apes Blu-ray set. Oh, yeah. And I was like, eh, I'll get around to battle at some point. I got around to battle, and I really, really liked it. But, like, usually you just don't. Yeah, I mean, you bought them for, which is actually funny because Amazon had a flash sale and I just bought the Superman movies on Blu-ray because it was like $17, the collection. Yeah. Um, So now I could have watched this for the first time on Blu-ray, but I did just watch my DVD. (laughs) So have you seen, hold on, so before we continue, have you seen Superman Returns, which is like the takeoff of the Don, no, you haven't. I I don't think I've seen a Superman movie. I haven't seen Man of Steel. That's great. Did you watch the animated series? No, I watched the Batman animated series. I was always more of a Batman guy. I loved the the animated series, and I really, really liked uh, Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, yeah. That was like the first... Mask of the Phantasm was like my earliest example of me like wanting to be a gatekeeper of movies, because I like handed that thing out to friends all the time, and like... I don't even know if I ever eventually, like, I don't know if I actually got back it the last time I loaned it out. Like, I was just loaning it out. <laughs> I don't even. I don't even know if I've seen it because I was just lending it to people. <laughs> <laughs> I basically lend it to people and then they get it back to me and be like, "Oh, sweet, I have." Like, it was like I was getting the movie again for the first time and I'd watch it. That movie was like alongside Jurassic Park and Ghostbusters, is like the movies that I watched all the time as a kid. But I never ever. Have, I don't think I've seen a single Superman movie. It's crazy because I think if I would have known that, I would not have suggested this for the test episode. I because think this, I think this is perfect, though. It is, but that's such a crazy... I guess at some point what we should do is go back and have you watch Superman 1 and 2. 
Uh, yeah, I'd love to because I really, really, I'm a big fan of a lot of Richard Donner's work. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the series that I'm like a huge fan of, and an eventual apologist for is the Lethal Weapon series. I think like one I watch maybe three times a year, um, and I watch two usually right after that, and um, three and four actually fairly regularly too. Like I watch all of them, even though I'm like a huge apologist for four. I think it's kind of a messy movie, but it has a lot of good in it. And I'm also an apologist for The Omen, which in recent years has lost a lot of its... Yeah. The Omen and Scrooge have both lost a lot of their... Um... Actually, Scrooge was unpopular at first, so it might be actually getting better now. But um, the, the those are movies that I really love that, that a lot of people actually really dislike. So and... I, I assumed Richard Donner fandom was a rare thing, and the fact that I consider myself a fan of his, and I haven't seen, like one and a half of his most <laughs> prominent roles is kind of crazy or director roles is crazy yeah and i've i've seen every movie that you said i i love um i i also like lethal weapon 4 um, it's it's got it's got a lot of really great shootouts and also a lot of uh, racist bullshit in it yeah <laughs> so i do it i have um but you, you're still hold up. yeah you're also really like i love maverick maverick is fucking fantastic um I haven't seen Maverick in years. I really like that movie. And um, and Conspiracy Theory yep. is really good, too. It, the, Conspiracy Theory, we're going to have to find this at some point, but I, I have a list somewhere. I My first time making a top 100 list, uh, I think I was probably like 17, uh, but was, was so into movies, I already was like, I need to organize these in some way in my head. <laughs> Uh, because that's that's the sickness that we have. Strange disease. But conspiracy theory was like in the twenties. Like I loved the shit out of that movie, and that like disappeared from everything. And that had Mel Gibson. Like it disappeared before Mel Gibson went. I don't know more nuts, whatever you want to call it. But that is like Julia Roberts and Patrick Stewart and Mel Gibson, and it's pretty damn good. And ever that was like forgotten immediately. It's a really strange movie. Like he's the whole the whole role that he's playing in it, where he's basically like I'm also a Mel Gibson defender as an actor, not oh. as a person. He's a piece of person, but uh, as an but like the whole role that he's playing is this like, um, and he nails it. I think he's playing himself, which is why he's so good at playing an unhinged <laughs> lunatic. It's true. I really don't want to know what Mel Gibson actually thinks about 9/11. Um, but yeah, so I and I uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a big fan of. A lot of those Mel Gibson, Richard Donner movies. So I, uh, I, I, I will eventually get there. But so yeah. there's two. So the other thing that we should establish is that neither of us are really comic book readers. I read non-superhero comic books usually, um, and you don't really read any. I don't. I no, I've read a few of the big ones. What um, have you read? Have you read like Frank Miller stuff? Yeah, I read. I read Kingdom Come. I read um, The Killing Joke. Uh, yeah, everyone's read Killing Joke. That's like an easy thing to give to your friends that yeah. don't like comic books and be like, see, you do like them. They like, can finish it in like an hour, less than. Watchmen. I did read the uh, Infinity Saga, like way back, mid-90s when that came out. Uh, Infinity War, Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, uh, I but, don't know any of that stuff. But yeah, yeah that's all the old Marvel stuff. That uh, Yeah, I just don't know the storyline or what the gauntlets do or anything. Well, even, the the well, movies aren't that great at yeah. even illustrating it. Well, great news. It's coming to a theater near you. Um, no, I, uh, I, no, I don't. And and with the exception of those Infinity Gauntlets, which I borrowed from a friend when I was in junior high, everything like Watchmen or The Killing Joke, I read those in the last three or four years in a desperate attempt. I don't know why, 
I have enough obsessions as it stands. It's so and I and I and not that much free time. So it is weird to be like, hey, here's something that hasn't got its hooks in me. Let me try desperately to get addicted into it. Yeah. And it, it's just been unsuccessful. So yeah, I like that concept of like serialized storytelling that goes on for a long time with big character changes and people dying and stuff like that. But, you know, if you never, and this is just my interpretation, I'm not saying this is, would be true for anyone, but I feel like not getting a chance to read him as a kid, uh, based on my parents, um, who, who thought there was, you know, problems and too much sex and violence, and there probably was, they are like a foreign language to me in a way that I can't visualize the story. And I, it's, it's very hard to describe but just the, it really is a different way of experiencing something that for some reason just I have to focus so much on what's going on and what I'm doing. I yeah, and it's like an alien form of media to you, then I don't see how it would make sense. Like the other day we were talking about, and I, I've read more comics than you. I've read like the Preacher series, Sin City, a bunch of Frank Miller Batman's uh, Batman stories, um, not whole terror the the really uh racist one uh islamophobic one that he wrote uh not that one um but uh I, no, that one you have tattooed on you yeah that one is on my back <laughs> yeah it's hard it's to just, read the whole thing it's hard yeah. to read yeah also because i'm always flexing yeah <laughs> um but i uh but yeah i have, I have a, a friendlier history with with comic books than you like i get it but like specific types of stories don't necessarily appeal to me. Yeah, you had to tell me um, I had bought a uh, book and I was about to read it backwards because it was a manga and I did not know. I thought I had got a misprint book. <laughs> Which is like the perfect like the, is the perfect sort of like I don't understand. Wrong. I don't understand. That would have made that would have made so many like anime kids just like laugh their fucking asses off just like oh the western boy can't read manga (laughs) but like why would you know to read a book backwards why would you know that and depending on how i don't know why i know that yeah and depending on how um david lynchian or lovecraftian is i may have just thought this is a really weird way to tell a story it's uh it's a disjointed narrative like, I, I could have read 200 pages and been like, I don't know what the fuck's going on in this book. Yeah, and and uh, I'm really enjoying The book is Uzumaki, um, the Junji Ito manga. And I don't usually read manga, so, like, I even needed to adjust when I was reading it. Because I read comic books now more regularly, but I even needed to adjust. But, yeah, uh, that's, that's not a... A problem that's like super like it, it's not like you actually can't read yeah <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's not something that i'm like but baffled by um but it was just a funny little run it so yeah both of us have i'm a comic book casual your comic book i want to say averse but like just not versed is probably more Alliter- illiterate yeah illiterate is the most accurate yeah. word for it yeah, so I've never read Superman. So my expectations for the movie are, and this, I think this will be a good episode to sort of explain my philosophies on movies, is yeah. that um, my my beliefs are watching the movie, trying to figure out who Superman is supposed to be as a character within this weird universe, this weird comedic adventure universe, and try and figure out like what he's supposed to stand for, and like 
judging it as its own movie, even separate from the three movies that precedes it, which is an unfair sort of expectation to put something on. And I'm, I was, I was going to save my reactions for the end, but like overall, I really, I, I kind of liked it. Like, it's like, it was like fun, goofy. It was never boring. It was ludicrously stupid, but like, I was expecting it to be ludicrously stupid, so like that was a plus for me that it was it was kind of stupid. Yeah, and we've we've spoken, and I'll eventually get away from saying something that we've spoken about before, but maybe maybe it actually breeds camaraderie, so that people that listen are like, oh, they're friends. I like them. <laughs> um, but you know about how how we don't really have that whatever that genius for hate watching like. I think because I think it's very easy to say, hey, I liked this because it was so stupid. I don't think that that's ironic appreciation of something. You know, if and I'm going to I'm just going to skip to one part of the movie. There's a part at the beginning where a satellite like hits a guy, an astronaut floating in space, a cosmonaut. And it looks like someone just lobbed a piece of metal at someone across the room and he falls like that. Now. I laughed out loud at that. In my interpretation of how I view movies, I don't think that I was like, look at that stupid effect. It was more, look how charming that was. Yeah. That was legitimately funny. And to, and to be honest, we're, I'm jumping ahead. I think this movie wants to be funny sometimes. A lot of times, uh, actually, even if it doesn't always succeed. You know, I, I don't think the ironic stuff, and I, yeah, like you, I don't care about its source material. Um, a movie needs to stand on its own. Like, you can have that conversation of how it differs from source material, but at the end of the day, you need to be judging what's what's on screen. And the, also, the, the other final thing, and I don't know if it's going to come up this episode, but if we're just doing a general philosophy, I do not give a shit about authorial intent for the most part. I don't either. And I think that... I like that I said I don't give a shit and then I still qualified it just because I feel like I'm trained to. But I don't give a shit about it. I don't either. Yeah. And, and I think that one of the points of this podcast is that intentionality is kind of irrelevant because like, I can't see what, when I'm watching the movie, I can't see what you meant to do. I can only see what you did and I can guess whether or not that was supposed to be funny or not. But like it, that's kind of a pointless exercise when you're talking, especially about like, movies like this if you're talking about say um if you're watching say a late era scorsese movie and you kind of know a lot about scorsese and you're just trying to figure out like oh so he meant to like this scene is kind of clumsy and hugo he meant to do this like you could sort of be like well yeah he always uses this camera technique to communicate this like that's it's more fun within those sort of director conceits yeah when you're talking about like these specific movies and specific moments i can only appreciate it for what is being presented in front of me and stuff made me laugh and there's stuff in the movie that i think is like it commits itself wholly to this comedic universe if it were like if it were if this were like a man of steel type movie where it's like i haven't even seen man of steel um but if it was a man of steel type movie where it's grittier and then all of a sudden there's goofiness it would stand out as sort of wrong and wrong-headed and strange but in this movie everything is goofy and silly and light like even the villain doesn't seem he seems like more of a prankster well and like he doesn't seem like he wants to murder millions he seems like he just wants to like fuck up superman's day and the one part that's not light is a part i want to discuss later on because i think that and the reason for that being in the movie is 
why there's so much tonal confusion. And I think why this movie didn't know what it was was going to be. And I think a lot of reason why it was kind of rejected by the public. So first off, Superman 4, um, what I do know about it is that its budget was cut in half. Um, so the, the one of the things that people point to are these silly, um, these silly special effects, which I'm going to say right off the top, a lot of old special effects, good or bad, come off kind of silly in modern parlance. I haven't seen Superman 1 and 2, so I can't really compare it to anything. But to me, I was just like, oh, this was a cheap adventure movie from the late 70s, early 80s. And you really really see it in the budget because it would be one thing if there was no good flying effects. It's true. There's certain... certain moments that it, the budget shows and certain moments that it doesn't. Like I, like I wrote down in my notes, the great. how does this Great Wall of China scene look that good? There's a part where he flies down and he picks up a chunk and it looked as good as anything in the, you know, the Richard Donner Supermans. It looked very convincing and then you see the next scene and he's clearly, you know, poorly superimposed over a scene. But, you know, I think I think the budget thing is a good point because it was those, and there was a couple other scenes like that that were really well done. It definitely wasn't a, a situation where whoever they had involved with the special effects didn't know how to make these special effects work. They had no time and no staff, yep. and there were cuts. And yeah, so so right off the top, um, let's talk about one a bad effect, which is the unending opening title screen. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, my note was even the credits don't know what they're doing. It's true. They reminded me of a, an office screensaver where it would just be like Betty's work PC flying up on the screen and then flying away and then flying back every like 15 seconds. Like it has this like weird, super rigid rhythmic quality to it where it's just like it feels never ending because the titles never do anything super surprising they just kind of fly in and fly out over and over again well and you haven't seen richard donner superman but like it should be noted that they it's kind of similar in style to that but in that movie they just come at the screen like from the same direction in this one they're literally just every direction possible in that same weird 70s font you know 10 years later it's, it is just like, it, to me, it signaled this is going to be a mess <laughs> because that is what those opening credits are. They're a complete fucking mess. Yeah. They, they, and they're so slow. When it started, I was like, I was like, oh no, this is going to be one of those like sweaty, low budget, late cash in movies where like nobody does anything, but like sit in gaudy rooms and talk about Superman. You never get to see <laughs> Superman fight anything, which fortunately it, it is not. Um, it starts off right away with a, uh, uh, a cold open. Actually, uh, actually, um, before we get into the actual movie, the one thing, and, you know, I don't know if this would be a better summation, but you, you just mentioned it, a low-budget cash-in. Here's the thing that amazes me about this movie, and part of the reason I wanted to do it. It is still crazy to me that a property like this is where that whole the 80s and film franchises and all that stuff. It's like a foreign world 20 years later, because the idea that this, you know, iconic character, the most well-known superhero of all time could be this kind of haphazardly haphazardly thrown together sequel sold to a group that is known for their low-budget stuff 
and just kind of like this randomly put together thing and then dumped into theaters. Like that's unheard of. There's these two guys. Um, yeah. And Canon's place is very strange because at the time Canon was making very successful movies and big bombs. And they were known as like these, these very, uh, 1987 is definitely them on their way out. Yeah. But, um, before this, they were known as these, these sort of, these guys that would make cheap genre movies that would make a lot of money. And the big studios sometimes would work with them. Like this was, uh, Superman getting this license. Um, but very often, uh, they didn't get very much respect for what they were doing. And even though they, they, you know, they created Chuck Norris as a hero, like they, they made a lot of really terrific little series that all, and they helped create, like they helped push out this, this cult director named Albert Pune, who's very famous. Like the, basically Canon films was where these two Israeli immigrants, uh, Golan and Globus, and they came to America and you can feel their, um, their, their fingerprints on every one of the movies in the specific goofiness that they bring to the production. And sometimes they would direct movies, sometimes they wouldn't, but they were mostly just like really powerful producers. And what they would do with these movies is they were, they were terrific shysters. Um, is that an anti-Semitic term? Uh, probably. <laughs> if it is, I'm sorry. <laughs> they were uh, tricksters. I, uh, I'm, I'm more self-conscious about being racist than I ever am racist, but it sometimes makes me nervously stumble over stuff. Yeah. Um, that's probably yeah, so, a good feeling to have in general. Yeah. It's just normal, just white people guilt that we should all feel. Yeah. Um, so, uh, tricksters, I'll say in case the word tricksters is, is offensive. Um, keep, is, keep uh, digging. Yeah. <laughs> they, they sort of would go to these, they would go to, um, the um, backers of these projects with a poster and, you know, maybe a star, maybe a log line, you know, just sort of an idea and be like, we have this movie in production. And the backers would be like, okay, that seems great. We'll throw money at that movie. And then they would go and hurry up and go make them, actually go make the movie that they said was already in production. So that's part of the reason that a lot of these movies are cheap and kind of, and they'll reuse effects. Yeah, and they, and they got... Set up. Yeah, and they got a ton of money for movies just that they never ended up making. Yeah, it's true. Just, just it's posters true. and, you know, things that never end up coming to fruition. And they would just take that money and put it into a different movie and then hopefully make that first movie later on. Yeah, and the guys lived extraordinary lives. Um, very much an interesting version of the American dream where they came here and got very, very ambitious right away. And they wanted to compete with the big studios. So... This is this is this is it, right? They yeah, were gonna th- make this and Masters of the Universe was like their, you know, that was their shot. True, and they were gonna make a Spider-Man movie next, but they couldn't. Um, this movie actually reuses some effects from Supergirl, which was a cheaper property to license. Mm-hmm. Just the, their typical model, you know, work your way up. <laughs> Work on smaller properties until you have enough money to afford the licenses on the bigger properties and blah, blah, blah. So this movie um, had its budget cut. I don't know exactly why. I didn't do a lot of research for this episode. I just kind of know. You, you did more it. research than me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I should probably have looked up a little bit more so the story would be more interesting. But yeah, so the Golan and Globus guys have different timestamps on stuff. And sometimes they'll like, there's a goofiness to it that comes from either them or just the speed at which 
in the economy in which they have to produce these movies, which sometimes makes movies really fun because they'll be like 84 minutes and you're like, six things happen in one scene and it's just kind of like this crazy uh, like juggling act to see them try and knock out a bunch of plot points right away. Yeah, there is and, a, there's an insane amount of plot yeah. points introduced in the first 20 minutes of this movie. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, I... Is that a, a decent enough? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think it was, and I but I also think it's so f- like it is such a weird time because you know sequels were cash ins. There were rarely any. You know, you had Star Wars, you had Rares the Lost Ark, you had Back to the Future. There's other ones with a pedigree. You know, and some of that made sense. Like, sure, you know, you know, Jason and Nightmare on Elm Street and that kind of stuff. Those didn't necessarily have the same. You know, those were more susceptible to. You know, cheapo sequels. The fact that Superman, you just need a, just need a knife and a mask. Yeah, the the fact that Superman was, I think, it's, it shows you what a weird time it was, or Captain America being some rushed out movie. I mean, even even Batman and Robin, you know, ten years later, which is a much worse movie than this. Even that, a lot less fun. What? It's a lot less fun. A lot less fun. But yeah. even that, like, they didn't they didn't send that to some, you know, studio. It, that was still Warner Brothers hiring top talent. You know, it was it was a flop on its own merits. This weird, like, we don't know what to do with Superman. Sure, you do it. Like, there's no world, even if 10 X-Men movies in a row flopped at the box office terribly, like, you're never going to see an Asylum-released official <laughs> X-Men movie. It's true. It's true. It's <clears throat> never, they're never going to... Uh... And now, yeah, I think people forget that, like, now budgets inflate with every release, typically. And people kind of understand what their properties are worth. And they realize how – because that was kind of the other thing about the bad Superman movies is it affected comic sales. It affected – like, I think they realize that these things don't exist in a vacuum. So even though there's a lot of failures, they're definitely more protective of their cash cows and properties. And the concept, and, and that's kind of a thing that Hollywood is being criticized for now. It's creating this bubble where these movies just get bigger and bigger and bigger. But like, yeah, Thor two, even though people didn't like love Thor one, when Thor two was coming out, they were like, well, yeah, I mean, we're gonna give another push behind this character because now people have been exposed to them because of Avengers, and you know, even if the movie's budget isn't significantly bigger, the marketing budget is gonna be bigger, and yeah. they're gonna keep all that shit in house until they think that they can't make any more money off of it. And then it goes back to the original rights holders who are very protective of this stuff. It's kind of crazy that like this this little company got to make a Superman movie who was Yeah, and and there was I mean there were no other Superman or no other superhero movies and there's no to this day he is more recognizable across the world than Batman. And the idea they made this shitty, you know, I say shitty in the sense that it was kind of thrown together in the normal canon way. Like, it's it's ten years later that would have been unheard of. It's such a specific time when no one knew what, you know, it's when it's when the Beastie Boys could go make Paul's Boutique and just, you know, buy samples of the Beatles for $500. Um, because no one knew what their stuff was worth. That's true. And, it's true. And that's... You just want to make a quick buck. Yeah. And that is such a weird sliver and that's the only way this movie exists. So I'm sorry to kind of derail it, but like that that besides the canon thing you mentioned, that was that was one of the other reasons I wanted to talk about it a little because it is just insane that this movie exists more so than the Punisher 
you know, Dolph Lundgren movie, more more so than the cheap Captain America movie. Those were not well-known properties at that point. This is such an anomaly in in movies in general, I think. It's true. And it's it's a strange strange thing and it's worth talking about. So, you ready to kind of Yeah, let's into let's the, dive the in. So, okay. I will I will tell you this cuz we didn't really talk about this. I have I wanted to write I I initially when we started watching, I wrote basically questions thoughts and then a bunch of likes i was just gonna sort of go through the movie and then we can kind of hop around okay um so the first thing i wanted to comment on is that cold open in space screams like that screams post star wars when like moonraker era when they were just like making movies in space they were just like we have to we we have to have it. Now, I, I don't know if the other spider-man i mean I, I know the other superman movies have to do with space he's an alien but, like, to me, it just screamed, like, post-Star Wars. Like, <laughs> you have to have a scene with a space station. You have to talk about cosmonauts. Like, Yeah, I loved, I loved, the again, that part where the satellite hits that dude. And he just, it just kind of bounces off him is one of my favorite parts in the movie. The funny thing about that is I remember hearing that the effects were so shitty in this movie. And, like, the scene inside the capsule. Yeah. The zero G looked not that bad actually. Yeah. I thought I didn't. I wasn't seeing like clearly wires. Like the one thing that you can see with cheap wire work is like people's suits are tugging a lot because mm-hmm. like yeah, it's just how it works. Um, I wasn't seeing a lot of that in the in the zero G space scene. And then then the guy gets hit by the object. There's like just some real cheap compositing that's like really funny, and it adds this like artificial patina to the whole movie right away. Where it's like big things are gonna happen and they're gonna look sort of cheesy, but like. The movie sets it up as sort of a comedic, it, goofy yeah, it, movie right away, which I like. I, my, my general feel was a very Looney Tunes vibe right from the get-go. Yeah. And, and uh, the one thing I didn't like, and I, this, this, this has been brought up about like James Bond, where the, the worst thing about James Bond is when they take him into this weird area where he's all of a sudden an expert on everything. I I did not like that Superman knew every language. Like I was gonna say that. So Superman knows Russian. Like I understand that the point behind Superman is he's supposed to be a perfect human being, and we're supposed to like model ourselves after Superman. Like that's not how Batman is. That's why people don't like Superman is because he's like perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um. You're sp- but like so perfect that he speaks Russian, and later he speaks Italian too. It's true. It's true. When the uh, volcano is erupting, yeah. I kind of like that though, in the sense that it's a shorthand for the fact that like Superman is not an American; he's a man of the world. When he goes to speak to the UN or whatever later, and they basically are like, "Yeah, sure, you can take our nukes." I don't even know how that scene goes, but like he goes to speak to the I, UN. I got a lot to talk about. Yeah, that. We'll, we'll have to dive into that. Um, but. Uh, he basically uh, he goes to speak to the UN and everything, and everyone's fairly amenable to him. So it's sort of like I feel like the point of Superman is that he's like a peacekeeper to his core, and a, spe- and a peacekeeper learns people's languages. I, I guess practicality, though, he doesn't have a superhero or a superpower that lets him absorb information at a higher rate. So, like, he studied to learn all these languages, and. That's true. I feel like that's a little unrealistic yeah, of like, know. oh shit, I'm going to be the superhero. I need to learn all the languages because I'm going to be saving people worldwide. I'm an international savior. And he's, he's, he's not just Jesus for, you know, Christians and Jews. He's Yeah, Jesus, Jesus for, for America. Everybody. 
So he's Jesus for America. He's not like he's not like Jesus, which is specifically for America. Mm-hmm. He's like a universal Jesus. <laughs> he's everybody's Jesus. Yeah. Uh, unlike regular Jesus, who is just for America. Just, just for just the South, actually, not even all. <laughs> just, for the, just for gun owners in the yeah, South. Just gun. Hey, no, gun owners everywhere. <laughs> and and the, the, South. the South, yeah. Um, in the South, people too young, too young or poor to afford a gun. Yeah, they're not welcome. Um, so after that scene in space for Superman rescue someone, he sort of sets himself up as like he's not playing this Cold War bullshit. He goes to a farm, which immediately started kicking in my anxieties that this was going to be. One of those sweaty, like, low-budget movies where it's like you want to see Superman punch a tank, but instead you're watching Superman talk about tanks. <laughs> you hear about it, like, talk about troop movements for 30 minutes and, like, try and, like, calm down Lois before he goes fights battle. Nope. It's just, like, a really quick farm scene that shoves an info dump right in your face. Well, what also... The, what, the, what the fuck was with Superman's mom... Was it Superman's mom in that weird rock? Okay, so here's what's weird. So anytime a Kryptonian rock or crystals at his Fortress of Solitude talks, from what I remember, Superman 1 and 2, it was always Marlon Brando as Kal-El. So obviously they couldn't get the rights to Marlon Brando's voice or he didn't want to record new things or anything like that. So as far as I know, his mom has never spoken to him. But again, I haven't seen the other movies in a while. Don't don't send me emails, people that are not listening to this because it's a test episode just for us. Um, but uh, so that was weird. Uh, also, that was his family farm, and I don't remember his parents dying in Superman one or two. Maybe they did. Wait, so actually, is this is his Kryptonian mother or Earth mother? Well, Earth. Well, so the one that was talking to him was assumingly. His Kryptonian mother. But even later, remember, there's like a whole council that speaks to him that, as far as I know, never happens. So I think it was like a weird, we don't have Marlon Brando, so let's do this thing. And I'm kind of, I'd be kind of fine with one or the other. Like, it's fine if he has a rock in his basement, the basement of his barn that he talks to, you know, he pulls open um, shit. Or I'd be fine with him having the Fortress of Solitude where he can just like pull relevant audio clips to comfort himself. Like, I'd be kind of fine with this. But it just kind of starts, and then this rock gives you an info dump, which is, like, the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. It is, because because I've never... I have never seen a more obvious Deus Ex Machina. (laughs) Yeah, Deus Ex Machina for information. For for literally, they say, here's this thing that'll grant you extra powers... You can use it once. I, I've never, like, sometimes, you know, they do some foreshadowing, but just be like, this is going to give you more power, but you can only use it once. And, like, that's it. I don't even know what that did, really. It was just a crystal. Yeah. And so I, I that's another thing is, like, right off the bat, someone who doesn't know Superman, I'm like, does he normally talk to space rocks? I thought he was allergic to Kryptonian, to kryptonite, like, yeah. it, from... From various Jerry Seinfeld bits. It's what crossing the streams would have been by a terrible writer. Like, you just you just tell them right here. Yeah, this is the thing. It's going to happen later. That way later when they use it, it'll be like, oh, yeah, that thing. You use it once. It. Superpower. They People get it. They get it. It's a smart audience. 
They'll, they'll pick up on it. How do I how do I communicate an idea? I don't know. I have a fucking rock tell them. Yeah. It's like it's like a Western like, hey, this gun shoots any one person in the face perfectly one time. <laughs> Just use it sometime when you need it. Like I wonder, wonder if that's gonna come up. <laughs> I think the problem is that Chekhov's gun doesn't physically tell people that it it, it can shoot people. Oh, yeah, Chekhov's gun would be like, "I'm gonna shoot somebody later." Chekhov's um, magic, kind of kryptonite looking crystal, but I guess that was kind of but, a. But he can pick it up and touch it. Yeah, it's 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 not, but that was kind of a. I kind of remember that a little bit from the Donner Superman too, where it was like stuff that looked like kryptonite that he could touch. Again, we're gonna get emails. <laughs> Too many. Too many. Um, the other thing that was really weird about this scene was now they were introducing so many subplots in the in the opening that I was having trouble keeping up. But this is the one that they never come back to, and I only realized it later, like where uh, Superman's house is up in in Smallville is up for sale, and like they the you know the normal developer wants to 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 build a house and Superman won't sell and which it was a very common plot even to this day they never came back to that at all no and it's funny cuz like you expect in the end like he'll decide to keep the barn and him and Lois are going to move in together and he's going to like there's so little development that goes on between Superman's earth life but they put such an emphasis on it that it's kind of funny that at the end, like, and it's fine because at the end of the movie, everybody's fine. Like, the, the movie raises the stakes enough that it's like, well, the earth was saved, whatever. <laughs> but, like, he, he comes to the scene where he's, yeah, he's talking to his realtor about it. <laughs> and I wrote down here, he lost a father, but he gained a realtor because <laughs> this guy wants to play baseball with them and play catch with them and it, out of nowhere. And there's just, like, Superman's. Gotta build that mini mall. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just this guy who's like trying to be like a, like a friendly father or uncle figure to him and like wants to play with them and stuff. And this introduces one of my favorite comedic plot points in the movie, which is Superman pretending to be bad at stuff. So that is a so this is one of those fun things that you don't know. That was like the Christopher Reeves specialty. Oh really? That he did that in all the movies. He amped it up to the point where he he had a developmental disorder, though. In this movie, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to put it in a be- like he's had brain damage. He's too much yellow sun. I don't know, but that that always existed. But the the way they moved that to like that Clark is basically an unemployable monster. <laughs> <laughs> who can't even, you know, walk three feet without causing minor injuries and scrapes and bruises. It's kind of offensive, though, because it's like, is that what he thinks we look like? He's he's going so far into, I'm not Superman, because I can't even walk. You know, that him being clumsy was, like, a, a part of his character in the early movies. But, like, this was like, I've had a lobotomy. <laughs> Him slowly trying to drive away the people he loves to protect them by making them hate him. Yeah, that that, Um, which I found funny. Um, I I, I thought it was I I don't know. There were multiple scenes of him purposefully fucking up that I thought were pretty funny, and one one of them was him playing catch really shitty because it was almost like he was making fun of nerds. I've never (laughs) seen a ball. um, But then immediately after that, he he knocks the ball into orbit as the realtor is walking away, and I. 
don't know why he does that, because it's either A, to prove it to us that he's Superman, or B, to prove it to himself. So he's apparently just like a gloating asshole. Well, he's re- he's really worried about cognitive dissonance. Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe if I say I'm not super for too long, I might believe it. So, yeah, I... I still got the magic. Like, and the he, guy is like the guy is like thirty feet away when he does this. Yeah, I don't think he's even in his car. I do imagine though. I wrote down from that scene that is such a big subplot that they spend so much time on for no like. There's no like. There's no other reason besides just for the most part talking about the mall that they want to build or whatever it was. That I have to imagine that the editor, when he saw this in theater, was like, "Oh fuck, I left a whole scene out later on." Because I've never seen such a weird red herring, I think, without an editing mishap being an explanation later on. There must have... The ending of the movie is rather abrupt. There must have been... There must have been a cut thing where they're like, we can't have a lot of sweet scenes between Superman and Lois on the farm. We just can't afford to take get Christopher Reeves out here for reshoots. Like, there must have been a reason why they couldn't do that. Or, like, we're already under 90 minutes. I know this makes no sense, but... (laughs) It's true, leave. the movie has room to flex. Yeah, that that is such a weird... I spent yeah. the entire movie waiting for the farm to come back into play. Yeah, I was kind of comforted by the fact that it didn't, because, like, I don't really, like... <laughs> Superman does some stuff in here with his relationship with Lois that is, like, a borderline abusive. Oh, we're gonna talk about amnesia. Cause... Yeah, but he, he does some stuff, that, and I'm like, so I never wanted him to, like come back i wanted him to stop the the fucking bad guy i never wanted him to come back home and like come back to this like weird bad relationship he has with this girl that he doesn't actually treat all that well (laughs) which is also another thing that i think is funny it's like this is the time when he should just be showing his face but he doesn't yeah and and he should be showing his face and then bringing her to this farm and the movie is uninterested Mm -hmm. from this point on in the farm (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to move? Do you want to move on to yeah. the, um, the sort of reintroduction of Gene Hackman? Yeah, and I really like. So my favorite part of this movie in general is Gene Hackman. Like he, he's th- great. There are some people in this movie that are phoning it in. He is not one of them. <laughs> he, it's true. He is so funny and so relaxed, and he's kind of playing that you know that version of Lex Luthor or any supervillain who's just like yeah. I'm having fun with this. I'm having fun being a bad guy. Um, even his even his ultimate revenge on Superman just feels like, yeah, fuck you, dude. Like, it, it seems like the level of revenge you'd have against someone who, like, beat you in a poker hand at some point. But I, but I think that matches. And, it like, he sells it. And he actually has, I'm, I'm skipping ahead, like, that moment where he kind of reintroduces himself to Superman where... You know, he projects himself only to Superman on that billboard. He even has, like, one chilling moment. And I thought that that was kind of a, like, oh, that's really cool. And he does sell it in that moment is like, yeah, I'm I'm messing with this guy and I don't like this guy. But then he, just his whole Lothario playboy, I'm going to make some money now. I, I loved it. Every second yeah. he was on screen. And in him coming out later and introducing himself on screen when he's finally ready to go after soups is like perfect because that's him basically. The moment of like, yeah, true creepy villainy is basically him announcing that he's like ready. He's ready to talk with Superman. He's ready to, to show him his plan. And like, 
I love their like Bond movies, recent ones. There's and I like Skyfall, but like especially recent ones have this sort of weird thing where like the villain needs to like um, explain themselves, and is that's fine in earlier movies or movies which Skyfall counts as this, where the villain specifically needs like bad, you know, Batman or mm-hmm. James Bond's approval. Like they want to impress James Bond before they defeat him. Um, so that makes sense Skyfall because he was like kind of a rival to James Bond and stuff. But um, it doesn't make sense in like um, he... some of them where, where it's grittier in any way. And this movie is cartoonish enough where it's like he wants to like just gloat in Superman's face that he pulled one over on him. Like he, it is a cartoon. It is a cartoon relationship that's like not literal in any way. Because Superman, if he wanted to, could just like punch his fucking fist right through his face at, at multiple points in this movie. But. He... It's not a gritty movie like that. It's Well, and the best thing about the way that Gene Hackman plays it is that I think that him playing it the exact same way in a gritty movie would have been just as chilling. It just it would have been less goofy fun. But I, I think that the one you know, that kind of like, hey, I'm a bad dude, but I enjoy the hell out of it, I think a lot of times that can be way more chilling than like, I'm a bad dude and I scowl a lot. Yeah. You know, and and Hackman is so good, even in this movie with this script. Like you could have taken that exact performance and put it in Man of Steel, and it would have. Because essentially, like I've only seen the trailers for it, but it seems like Jesse Eisenberg is playing like a manic version of this, based on the trailers. Yeah. So you oh. could have easily slotted him in in you know the current versions. Yeah, and it would have been lovely because you could have gotten him out of retirement, and the version that they're they're. they're transitioning sort of into his big prison escape is uh, perfect because it communicates everything you need to know about him. One, he's wearing a, uh, an ascot or something. He's wearing a scarf, a prison scarf. Um, standard operating procedure for when you bring in a new villain. I mean, when you, when you have money. Yeah, when you have money, you don't just that's what that's what, you, that's what you bribe people. You don't get cigarettes, not special treatment. Just let me wear my fucking ascot. This scarf that matches my outfit yeah. perfectly too. Like it can't be like it can't be like a color pop. It has to be like, well, it's, it's going to blend in my uniform. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he says that, that, and then um, uh, Ducky drives up. Which I'm gonna. You I'm know, it's funny. Up. In my notes, I've referred to him as Ducky too, to the point <laughs> where I forgot, and I haven't even seen Pretty in Pink. So, I don't think I've seen Pretty in Pink either. But he is just Ducky, not now. But in this movie, he is Ducky. I mean, he's like one of the two and a half men. I, like, that takes too long to say. Ducky is a fast way to, to communicate that you mean John Cryer. And I really... Ducky is like such a useless character in this movie. But like, it's kind of funny that like, it, it, it starts communicating the cartoon world that we live in um, right away. That he has a like, a boneheaded 80s, like burnout nephew that's also interested in crime well and, <laughs> and he's like and ned Beatty was his sidekick in superman one and two and thank god he didn't come back <laughs> yeah and I, honestly i liked it it was so it was so big but in the background like he has probably five lines in this movie and all in a weird surfer accent that for no reason is part of it it was, oh, just, it was several choices yeah but i mean if he had been a 
Ned Beatty, you know, actually had a lot of conversations. He really just receded to the background, but that worked for me. And I thought that, you know, based on his performance and, you know, how little he was there, it was so weird that I, you know, I kind of loved it. Yeah. And so let's pick up pace a little bit in this section because we're kind of just laying the groundwork here. Um, And their super villainy is laid out pretty quickly in the fact that they don't kill the two guards. They just fuck with them with an automated car. Yeah. Um, which, by the way, Gene Hackman has a great line reading where he's like, "Windows, when the windows go up and the cops are getting trapped in there." Um, but he's. It, but basically, it was a "Don't worry, they lived" moment. In the oh movie. yeah, where it, the car falls off, explodes, and they like crawl out, and look at each other, like, "Man, oh, they pulled d- one over on us." Yeah. And that was when the movie communicated to me fully that it was a children's movie. Like, before it communicated it was cartoony, at this point it was like, this is a movie for kids. So, like, it helped adjust my expectations that, like, we're not going to see Superman get into some sort of, like, political debate with the nature of evil with Lex Luthor. It's going to be a good and evil struggle all the way through. Well, kind of, though. Because I wrote down this note a little bit later because it says... You know, basically what what I wrote was I don't mind the Looney Tunes tone. I don't mind the you know the weird big costumes, the fact that you know, Clark Jazzercising, that Hackman was the voice of Newt. Like all that is like a Superman goofy slapstick comedy worked for me. Where this and this is coming up pretty soon. Where this movie really has a hard time was the reason that Christopher Reeve was back as Superman in the first place. Which was, he had some important shit to say about nuclear arms, and he's like, I'm going to do it as Superman. But it's 1987? I I don't know. That's kind of like, you know, I need to make a movie to address the AIDS crisis in 2006. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It it, it feels a little, like, late in the game. Yeah, they were already talking about disarmament, and, you know, Reagan was... It's so... Weird, and I don't even know, skipping ahead a little bit to the end, I'm not even sure what the point was besides, hey, America, Russia, there's no Superman. You guys got to figure this out for yourself. It's it's weird because his plan of getting rid of all the nukes didn't work. And, and then it actually shows, hey, look, you do this, there's going to be a power vacuum. So, I mean, it's almost a, a, an argument for keeping nukes. And it's weird because, like, Superman helps create his own villain but the movie doesn't hold him responsible for that at all well he figures it out very quick where he came from (laughs) because he's throwing the nukes into the sun yeah i see what you did here yeah and i just read uh i just read a book about nuclear disarmament um or nuclear armament and disarmament um it's a really great book um and it's uh it's called command and control it's terrific uh and the uh i don't think that this movie has um, a totally realistic expectation of how disarmament would work. I don't want to step on any toes here. It seems <laughs> no. a little unrealistic with how he nets them in the sky. But but see, I love the net. I did love the net. Again, anything Looney Tune-ish worked. It yeah, was. I, I, I agree totally. Yeah, it was. And it really felt like that for most of the movie. It was whatever point, and I feel bad speaking ill of Christopher Reeve, but this definitely feels like, hey guys, I just read a newspaper article about nuclear weapons. 
I don't think they're very good. And and then someone calls him and is like, hey, hey, Christopher Weave, we're doing a Superman movie. He's like, nah, I'm through with that character. Said all I had to say was Superman 3. Wait, can I talk about these nuclear weapons? I think the too little too late thing is true, but I don't think that talking about nuclear war to children doesn't fit. I think it actually does fit because children are terrified of, like, that's, that's something that you and I didn't have to really grow up with as much. Um, I, did, I didn't have to. I was born in 1991. But yeah, and I, I was 83. There was a little bit of it. But like I said, I mean... You got like a taste of it, maybe? Yeah, it was such did. a... I mean, even 87, though. That's late. It's, they were talking about disarmament. You know, the Berlin Wall was a couple years from falling. You know, Gorbachev was not... Gorbachev was as responsible for ending the Cold War as Reagan was, if not more. I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they, were, they were having good discussions. There was, there was kind of an understanding. I mean, this, this isn't duck and cover days. Yeah, and, and, the movie and, would work better in the 70s. Like, them going after nuclear warfare and approaching children would work better a decade earlier. It, you know, to do it in 1987, like, everyone kind of agreed that you know, they were bad. It was just kind of like they are a necessary evil at this point. And in some ways, the movie argues that point very well, that, yeah, they are a necessary evil, because you get rid of them, and then you're out of luck when Nuclear Man comes to kill everyone, and you don't have anything to do. And also, I've underlined the point there's no Superman in your in your universe. <laughs> you know, I think maybe Watchmen might have handled the issue of uh, nuclear weapons and superheroes uh, a little bit more tactfully than Superman for. But uh, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to. That's a big. Anyone. That's a big statement. That's all. I'm but, <laughs> but they both are tackling a similar sort of subject. That are saying like that's saying you know that nukes are the biggest threat to yeah. mankind right now, even more so than you know the soups and. Um, it is the moral imperative of a superhero to do whatever they can to, to get rid of it. And, you know, obviously, if it were the option of, you know, Dr. Manhattan and the Nazimandias to, to, to take, to go you know, track down scuds in the mountains <laughs> and, 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 and build up these, or dig up these underground bunkers and, and shit, like, obviously they would have done that instead of what they did in the last act of Watchmen. But like <laughs> the, the Superman has that ability. So that's what Superman does. And he puts him in a big fucking net and puts him in the sky. And I think why that doesn't work is that even if that's your theme, which it really is a tacked on theme, it doesn't work in a Looney Tunes tone. And that, you know, I, I'm not trying to skip to conclusions, but like that is the biggest tonal problem with the movie is it's this Looney Tunes funny movie Sometimes purposely, sometimes like charmingly funny in the way that it is. And then it has these moments of seriousness that really feel like some actor made them put it in as part of a contract. And oh, in this case, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's true. So he, and, and, and like I said, I think that the, the children thing might have worked better, you know. A decade or two earlier mm -hmm. but by yeah by 1987 i don't think children were i don't think five-year-olds were terrified of nuclear war the way they were well what prior. one kid was and he wrote a letter <laughs> to superman oh my god that scene where they're showing all that shit on tv and there's like a there's like a president that's being like sort of obscured and they say like the teacher turns to the class and say like well what are we going to do about nuclear weapons? And, 
And the kids all just like kind of look confused. No wrong answers. We're brainstorming. <laughs> the kids kind of looked. The kids kind of looked confused and shit. Like the tone of that speech is that this is the like the last government think tank to <laughs> save the world. Yeah. Yeah, and that kid is immediately a celebrity. He's the first person to ever write Superman a letter. And he says, hey, Superman, please do something. And Superman's like, you know what? I've never watched a news program. I've never read a newspaper, even though I work at one. But this kid, good idea. He, he like doesn't think it's that big of a deal before that. He's mostly just fucking around. Like he should be slowly dismantling these bombs for years. Yeah, or like had thought about it before, <laughs> or at least yeah, at least considered it. And then this kid motivated him yeah, to the, move. To, which basically, you know, is like another. You know, it's a kid's movie. It's a kid that motivates him to to do this task. And his disar- And like you said earlier, his disarmament task um, ends up creating Solar Man. Right? Is that his name? Oh my gosh. No, it's it's nuclear man. Nuclear man? Why yeah. is it nuclear man? Cause well, because he was made nuclear? from well, because he was made from a nuclear weapon with a hair on it. Well, he was also thrown into the sun. But yeah, so the the jumping ahead a bit. Basically, Lex Luthor's plan is he gathers up a bunch of um, arms dealers who he knows like runs this this black market. Uh, one of them is Jim Broadbent. Oh, it's pretty great. That uh, was Jim Broad. I didn't even catch that. Jim Broadbent, pretty hilarious. Um, and they, he basically gathers support to betray these guys because he's Lex fucking Luthor and builds this this nuclear man. And uh, yeah, Superman helps create him after he disposes of all the other nuclear weapons in the world, which is interesting because that it sets up a fight with Superman and a rival. Oh, we should jump back. The way they create him is that Superman donated a hair to a museum to show that it can hold weights yeah yeah which is like kind of a cute little moment where it's like superman is like trying to like inspire kids and and to speak of the looney tunes tone again that i think it was just holding up like an anvil that said a thousand pounds pounds. yeah Yeah. but that's also that's also another moment where it's like him knocking the ball out of the, the, the sky it's another moment where you're like but did you have to do this? Like, it, it feels an awful lot like loading. Also, he's clearly never it's combed mess. his hair ever. Because. <laughs> and it also comes to a whole other thing. Like, did he pull that hair out? Is he just leaving these, like, indestructible <laughs> hairs all over the place? Yeah. Someone broke their foot because they landed on a hair. <laughs> so, yeah. So they steal his hair and they use it to make this, like, genetically modified weird thing in a box that they infuse with nuclear energy and send it to the sun. I don't know what was going on, but I love Gene Hackman's suit. That's like, that felt, it didn't even feel like a joke. That wasn't like, hey, let's make him look like a mad scientist. Gene Hackman's character feels like he would be like, gotta put on my mad scientist suit when I'm mad sciencing. Yeah, exactly. He's like, uh, I'm inviting over gun runners and arms dealers and Superman and I'm gonna have my son here later. Uh, clearly, I'm gonna dress the part. Like, <laughs> this is not a casual evening for him. No, and does he? He doesn't have casual evenings. As soon as he's out of jail, he's like, well, "Yeah, I'm gonna go fuck around." <laughs> yeah, he likes costumes. People can like costumes. Yeah, and he he has a fun idea of what a costume is. Whereas, like Superman is like as a narcissistic concept of what a costume is. I feel like you're very anti-Superman. <laughs> I like. I actually really like. Um, 
I think uh, that might I like be. Christopher Reeves, I like Christopher Reeves a lot in this movie. It's just there's this concept of this perfect guy that I'm totally fine with as like an icon. But like the more that he expresses himself in ways that aren't just saving the world, the more you're like, hey, well, you're in a, you're in a position of power here, buddy. Understand that. <laughs> well, let's yeah, let's skip ahead a little yeah. bit because. He's not that good of a guy or that perfect a guy in this movie. So before I say anything, I want to I want to ask what you made of the amnesia kiss. So the amnesia kiss. So are you referring to he takes Lois on a date, tells him that he's Superman, they fly around. But hold on, hold on. They don't fly around. Yeah, they do. He walks hit hold on. They do fly around, but they don't just fly around. He pretends he's killing himself as Clark Kent walks oh, yeah. her <laughs> off the bill. Are you talking about the same scene? Yeah, no, I am. Yeah, but so he he pretends he's killing himself as Clark Kent. She freaks the fuck out, as one is wont to do when one of their friends wants to um, commit suicide and takes take you with them and take them <laughs> with them. She freaks out. She starts screaming. She they fly around the, the world, they're enjoying Superman time. I don't know when he had time to change in midair, but it's Superman, whatever, he can do that. Um, I will, then, I just want to pause that for a sec, because that, that scene is is very, is very, very, very funny, because it is just like, that's where the special effects budget fell apart. Um, it's true. And there's a point where they point at something that's clearly not there and just go, look over there. And I wrote that down because... That seems like a joke from it. Like, they're like, hey, look at that. <laughs> and it's it's not defined. It was, it's so obviously like, we're going to, we're going to put something there. Yeah, but it yeah. was, it was a bridge in the city they live in. You'd be like, look at that bridge. You ever seen that? Mm-hmm. But so, you've never seen it while you're flying. Yeah. So anyway. So he's flying all that shit. And then they land. Do you mind if I just jump to that? No, I, I want you to, because I think she, there's some things you don't know that are at play here so i want to get your so from my perspective what happened is he um played a cruel mental trick on her and then she lands and then he makes uh, he kisses her right when he lands yep and then he disappears and then clark shows up and she doesn't put the pieces together as she never does and then she's just standing there confused and it's so creepy because it's like a combination of like a why are you still playing this game with lois lane you should have given this up a long time ago b this woman is mentally unstable (laughs) and you are not helping (laughs) c how has she just forgotten that her 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 friend not her boyfriend because superman's her boyfriend canonically at this point um how can she just forget that her friend tried to kill himself and turned into superman and so, turned into superman she has no idea what's going on I, and that was a scene where i was just like this is fucking weird so this is where it has some continuity uh with um this is where you not seeing the other ones this must have been fucking crazy to you so I'm spoiling this a, a lot, but straight up, that's a straight up canon moment right there, where you're just like, there is some creepy shit they're doing with but, like people's memory. It's called gaslighting, if you're familiar <laughs> with it, where you basically you basically 
trick women's memory or your partner's memory into um, into confusing facts so that you can manipulate them. But it's even it's even worse than that because so the whole plot of Superman two in this series is that um, Superman ends up accidentally revealing that you know Clark sorry Clark Kent accidentally ends up revealing to Lois Lane that he's Superman. And um, because he goes and saves someone that's falling off Niagara Falls. And the whole crux of that movie is Superman and Lois are dating. She knows about him being Clark Kent. And, you know, General Zod comes and they have to fight him off. And at the, the whole, like, end of the movie is Superman realizing that by Lois, by he can't, that basically he can't have it all. He can't be both Superman and have a normal life as Clark Kent like he always wanted. And that's like, you know, a sad moment. But he doesn't want to have to break up with Lois because he feels like he did this to her. So it's kind of a cheat. And it's a very widely mocked cheat. But at the end of the movie, even though it pains him, he gives her this kiss. And that essentially, this is one of those weird, Superman has these powers in these movies sometimes like reversing Earth in the first one or reversing time, they never talk about, but I guess he can kiss people and, like, take away a certain portion of their memory. So so it's, like, a specific sort of kiss? It's not, like, every single one? Yeah, so it's like, a, he, you know, that's why I called it an amnesia kiss because that's what it's relatively called, where he basically gave her amnesia so she didn't remember any of that stuff. And that's the end of Superman 2. He, you know, it was tough for him, uh, but he realizes he, he you know... He can't be with her in the way that he wants, um, and he also doesn't want to put her at risk, but he also doesn't want to break her heart because she wants so, – so understand that that is – you know, and Superman 2 a lot of times is even considered better than the first one because that's the whole emotional arc of the film. What this movie has decided now is that Superman just does this shit all the time – Constantly is revealing himself to be Superman to Lois Lane just to talk about his day and then wipes that memory away from her so that he can have that. It's like he has his cake and eats it too now in this version. It's the most weirdly diabolically like selfish thing for Superman to do where he's just like, I'm going to fuck with your memory as much as I can and just because I need like. What he should really do if he can't be with Lois Lane is break up with Lois Lane. Well, and Superman and her aren't really dating in this movie. She basically calls him his boyfriend. I mean, she gets upset when he doesn't show up on time for a double date, which, by the way, there's a double date scene. Let's oh. run through. Let's run through. Yeah, because that comes right after this. But I, I just want to pause just for a second just to realize how fucked up this is. Like, especially after Superman 2, that how hard this amnesia kiss. And now he's like, I'm just going to do this so I can constantly reveal i'm superman and and you see why they did it from the canon perspective it's like hey you know what's an emotionally powerful scene when clark kent reveals that he's superman to lois lane like he did in this version also very powerful when they go on their first flight together and it's like let's put that shit in this movie in the creepy rapey way it's perfect they just basically yeah exactly they were just basically like let's do a greatest hits of the previous movies yeah all right we're gonna have a zod yeah we're gonna have lex luther we're gonna have mm-hmm. you're just like throwing together shit from previous and that's a really creepy specific example yeah he's, he's doing like i said before he's doing a technique called gaslighting mm-hmm. that is uh where you basically make your partner forget some shit and 
and uh, you basically make your partner not realize that they make their they basically think their memory is fallible, and you well, get to control their memory and, at that point. And yeah, and he's actually he's actually sucking out memories like a brain sucker out of Lois. But Jesus, this guy's but a hey, you know alien. what? But you you know you, sometimes you gotta talk to someone about your day, and what are you gonna do? Make a friend. <laughs> What are you gonna do? Talk to a therapist? Yeah, no. uh, you are emotionally abusive turd. Yeah, um, but yeah. So he basically, but the rest of the movie is just like all of the. So yeah, there's this. There's two. It's a, there's an A and B plot. There's Superman versus nuclear weapons, and then Nuclear Man, and and, and then, a C plot that um, basically Rupert Murdoch has bought the Daily Planet and wants to make uh, the Daily Planet more tabloidy. That was one of those moments when you know when you're pretty sure a movie's going to drop a, a thread, and then when it comes and picks it up later, you like laugh, cackling. You're like, I don't give a shit about the paper. You're like, the movie wants you to feel something when when the the, the that plotline is resolved later. It, but like, it is so relegated to the side. It is, like, and and you know, to skip to the head of that plotline because, like you said, it doesn't matter. Perry White gets. All of Metropolis rich people to give him money to buy the paper. So now he's in the pocket of... Big business. Also, I will say the Rupert Murdoch character, I wrote this quote. He says, at one point, less sensational newspapers go broke. And I'm like, Jesus, 1987, how prescient were you? (laughs) It's true. Like, this is 1987. There was no concern about papers. Like, there was no internet. This is the perfect this is the perfect thing with like network and how network apparently used to be less absurd and now it's like or sorry used to be more absurd yeah and, and now it's like yeah i mean that's what the news does yeah well yeah i'm sure i'm sure back then it was like man these greedy bastards like that's how you know he's a bad guy he wants to sell more papers <laughs> like now it's like yeah no shit this is what everyone does like man maybe if you were more concerned about selling papers in 1987 the new york times wouldn't be constantly <laughs> teetering on the edge of bankruptcy yeah no that was that weird like prescient moment in a you know cheapo canon movie from 1987 that's like just yeah. there's that and then earlier the thing where uh, clark doesn't want to sell the farm to like a big company where it's like i think that's a little bit of goal and globus showing where they're like they don't want to be. They don't want their characters to be swallowed up by big corporations and big government. They want their characters to be these like sort of independent, righteous men. That's actually interesting. Like maybe that's why that's in that because that actually makes way more sense. Yeah. As they thought, even though it seems like a, a dangling plot that it was supposed to be um, some sort of characterization of of what Superman stood for. And yeah, yeah. He doesn't stand up for big business. Yeah. He stands up for the little guy, and like he's not going to throw his farm to a big business so they can steamroll it and turn it into. But yeah, so um, jumping back to the the creepy dating line, why does Superman agree to go on a double date? Yeah, there's well, and it's not even really a double date because I mean, they're supposed to be occup- Clark Kent and Superman are supposed to be occupying the space at the same time, and the newspaper lady who immediately decides that she needs to fuck Clark Kent. <laughs> For no reason whatsoever, she. <laughs> I like that he's clearly mentally inferior. <laughs> She's like, I can take advantage of this handsome moron. Yeah. 
um, she just takes advantage of him right away and is like pushing him to do this stuff. And, and it's and it's so funny because like out, outrightly sexual harassment from moment one, and it's played off like comedy because it's like Clark Kent is like a nervous, bumbling, like almost like like nevish type where he's just like, oh no, I can't talk to I can't talk to women. And then Superman just comes in like big dick, yeah. just swinging it around. Yeah, Clark Kent's like, I've never even had a kiss that hasn't used targeted brain injuries. <laughs> um, well, but he, you're forgetting though; it's not really why it's even weirder. Why, why you would agree to it? It's not really a double date. Um, Lois Lane is interviewing Superman, so he set up the date and the interview with Lois Lane at the same time. It's just shitty scheduling, Superman. They're There's not so, so there. It's not even like, hey, we should double date with our boyfriends. Which would make more sense why he would be stuck in that situation. It's, oh shit, I scheduled this date and this interview at the same time. Well, I have no other choice. Can't reschedule the interview or the date. I'm going to try to do them at once. You, like, you could just do them right after each other 15 minutes apart, buddy. Like, build in some time. Like, I know Superman's busy, but, like, he spends enough time to uphold this weird identity that I don't really know why he's keeping in the first place. Yeah. Because, like, he could just live, he could just live on, like, if he's afraid of keeping... Honestly, he could just amnesia kiss anyone that finds out. It's true. It's true. Just, just Job from Rusted Development. Just... Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, he sets this thing up, and he's just, like, falling out the window and reappearing as Superman, and it's just, like... It's like supposed to be this comedy piece, but it's like a perfect anti-comedy piece because it's so amazingly unfunny. But like, the but it's the funny. Two, it's funny. It's funny in the sense that like I think I like Christopher Reeves as this bumbling dude, but it's like so poorly, so poorly scripted. Yeah. Well, I mean, the scene doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense at all, which makes it funnier because it's just like yeah, it's just like him playing like kabuki theater. With it it them, feels like, like shadows and it feels like a Tim and Eric routine. Like who would do this? And then the incredible lengths that he is going to to sustain a guise that is completely unnecessary to begin with is what makes it so funny. You're right. Superman is spaghetti. Yeah. He just pops That's up a places. reference I get. Um, <laughs> he just pops up places yeah. and uh, pulls pranks on people and then leaves and then comes back later. He's perfect. Yeah, that that scene is amazing. And that's that's actually when Gene Hackman does the – he's in the bathroom pretending he doesn't know how to use the toilet or something. Whatever is next. Hey, this is why I'm disappearing for a second and because uh, I dropped the turkey. Ruined dinner. Um, now i got to go to the bathroom for 30 minutes. Uh that's and that's when that's that's where it kind of gets really like momentarily chilling when when Lex Luthor's like, "Hey, you can only I'm I'm on this TV screen. You're the only one that can see me. Why don't you come say hi?" Um, and that's when the movie switches gears entirely. It mostly drops Lois Lane from the proceedings. It mostly um, yeah, this movie does not treat Lois Lane well, and she pops up at the end for literally no reason. And I almost feel like this is one of those. This won't affect it, but I I guarantee there's got to be some story of like something that happened here because it's she's in the movie, so they were able to get her, but then she was such an afterthought. They made her, they constantly treated her like garbage. Like between Superman doing the you know treating her like his personal therapist, um, and terrible friend, and you know she gets forgotten about for half the movie. Like it feels like something was going on. 
Yeah, it's a really, really strange thing. I'm going to do no research to back up my point. But. <laughs> I will do none either. Yeah. Let's sort of speed towards the conclusion now. Because it's, um, it's after midnight? Because it's getting late. Um, let's sort of speed towards the conclusion and get to what I think is a pretty fun moment when Superman reveals that he hasn't created Nuclear Man yet, right? So he... Luther drags him out, and then how does that go down? Well, no, he has created him. Oh, he has created him? Yeah, What's he gets there, because he time? gets there, and he's just kind of talking, and, you know. Oh, so Nuclear Man isn't being a dick yet. I mean, he's kind of being a dick to Lex Luthor. And it should be noted that, and I, I, I forget the reason for this, but because Mark Strong, who played Nuclear Man, was such a bad line reader, they make up something that uh, he has Gene Hackman's voice, because Gene Hackman had to, you know, Jurassic Park frog DNA, some of his stuff in there. I know. And, and Gene Hackman, you have Gene Hackman on set. You don't, <laughs> yeah, you don't uh, let this bumbling dude uh, speak, which I can also throw in that in Guardians of the Galaxy, they originally planned on having um, Dolph Lundgren be overdubbed, huh. and they ran out of money and couldn't afford another actor. So then Dolph Lundgren had to say his own lines, and he is visibly uncomfortable sometimes saying the lines because he is fresh off the boat. You're talking about Masters of the Universe. Masters of the Universe. How would I confuse that with Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, same amount of words. <laughs> There's literally no way yeah. for me to... No, I constantly get uh, Rambo and uh, Poseidon confused. Perfect. One word. All of them. All the one-worders. All Amadeus. One gravity. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Don't be started on Gravity and Amadeus. <laughs> How do you get him confused? Um, but yeah, so the the um, he, he, nuclear man's been created. He has Gene Hackman's voice, which was probably a wise choice. Um, and he basically is playing like power dynamics with Gene Hackman, which is a fun little scene. Yeah, and, immediately. Uh, yeah, and so we find out that nuclear man's weakness is he needs to be invisible in in sight of the sun. Like lit, like you put a blanket on him. And he's fucked. Yeah, he's not like a he's not like a solar cell where it's like it'll collect battery for a little bit and it'll run the batteries overnight until it collects more. Yeah, it's like it's like if he's not directly pulling energy, it's like a, a laptop that the battery is so bad that you might as well never unplug it yep. because it'll just die immediately. Yeah, that's that that is the perfect analogy. <laughs> yeah, so he's just tethered to the sun always, which must must make nights really tough but um nuclear man launches the first attack which is smart on his part because you know the whole needing to be near the sun thing and um he uh happens to only launch attacks in countries that is it's currently daytime in such as uh italy china the entire world is daylight at once it's all it's all in superman it's never it's never dark you know what's funny though isn't that a thing that like I don't know about the rest of the world, but like, isn't Metropolis supposed to be New York during the day and Gotham is New York at night? I haven't put it that way. I've always kind of heard the Gotham is Chicago. I've heard Gotham is Chicago. I've also heard it's New York at night. Uh, I really like that, though. I mean, they're not the same city, obviously. I think geographically, Chicago would be it would be more Chicago area in terms of like an DC well, map. But I'm not a I'm not a nerd. But appa- apparently, I am a nerd, but I'm not a nerd in this specific. Well, term. and you're not a virgin. Uh, um, <laughs> we should we should uh, we should scream towards the conclusion. So they start fighting, and I really actually like this climax because it's, we're, we're it's, actually it's, not we're not quite at the climax, but it, you're you're right in that it's basically so the rest of the movie, and this is about fifty minutes into an eighty-five minute movie. So the rest of the movie is 
the fight scenes that you're talking about punctuated by a short thing where for some reason I couldn't quite suss out Nuclear Man won and Superman was really sick. And then he took his magic crystal kryptonite and then the fight scene resumes. Oh, yes, you're right. You're so, right, you're right. And then interspersed with that is just the whole newspaper plot. So you, be, so we already kind of ended the whole newspaper plot. So you really just have those fight scenes uh, with the really good special effects. You have, I'm sick for a day, took a sick day. And then he gets really old. And then he takes his super magic one-shot bullet. And then they go and fight on the moon. Yeah, that's basically it. And, and I'm kind of, you know, the reason that... I'm kind of screaming ahead besides the time um, is because all those fight scenes and all the little destruction scenes are all pretty fantastic. Maybe not special effects wise, but the fighting is funny. It meets that Looney Tune level of violence. All the stuff on the moon is great. It, it's where I feel like I don't know what people wanted from a Superman movie, but they do a lot of bashing. And I'll tell you what, where canon excels is like urban destruction and there's that whole big scene where cars are blowing up and buildings are blowing up and like you know what that's pretty fun that looks good yeah i agree i think that the the entire climax of the movie is actually really entertaining because it's just like this cavalcade of set pieces that are just being thrown at you and you don't feel like it's overwhelming because it's these two guys that could just like fly so you're just like oh well i guess they're gonna head to china if yeah. they're going to go to Italy, I guess they're going to go to the fucking moon. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a pretty great shot where he just puts, uh, the nuclear man just puts Superman on the on the ground and then just pounds him like a pile driver just yeah. directly into the um, moon's terra, terra. And it's just like, actually, it's the movie deciding, like, yes, this fight has to be goofier. It's gotten a little a little weird. <laughs> Like, let's make this a little bit more cartoony right now. Yeah, and I, you know, and that is an exact move they did on, I I feel like I'm playing a drinking game where I'm trying to say Looney Tunes a lot, but, you know, that whole pile driver punch down into the ground, that would happen on Looney Tunes. And I I guess I'm, I'm saying it because I realized watching this movie how much I wanted that full cartoony early 40s version of Superman or a, a superhero movie. Just slapstick and this is goofy and Superman is a funny guy and there's no real big threats, but everyone's kind of having fun in mm-hmm. the same way that Elmer Fudd was never a threat for Bugs Bunny. That's what I want now. And I think this movie gets there. I think it's all the weird... Uh, you know, besides the kind of slap together stuff you talked about in the production at the beginning, some of the bad writing, the weird other stuff, um, and of course the the Christopher Reeve. Let's talk about let's talk about weapons, baby. Um, you know, yeah, that, that that does feel like it was a that was a message that he just needed to get out there because otherwise, like, why would he come back for this cheapo movie? And and his later message changed, as we all know, to horses are bad people. <laughs> No. <laughs> How dare you? Horses are the new nuclear weapons. Um, <laughs> he makes a Superman movie where he throws horses in a net, throws them into the sun. Um, yeah, but sort of. Ra- I mean, I guess to wrap up, you know, I I think this was sixty percent of that Looney Tunes version that I would like to see. You know, I, we're never going to get it now that you know superhero movies have swung in the other direction. But I think this becomes less of a 
less of a, you know, this is like rated as one of the worst movies of all time. It did make back its budget. It's not the financial flop that everyone seems to think it was. I think it almost doubled it. It is a really goofy take for the most part, on an iconic character, and we're never going to see this again. Yeah, you know, I can't I can't rightfully call it a bad movie in that sense, because it is constantly funny and constantly fun. Like, it is... No, I'm, I'm saying that I can't believe that people think... Yeah, I don't get that reputation at yeah. all. I think, that it, I think that it is often inscrutable, but, like, do people need everything to be, like... <laughs> Like, isn't it fun sometimes to just have something that's, like, silly and strange? Yeah. And not everything needs to be a torchbearer for the character. That's true. I mean, one of the things I said is they make different superhero lines. There's a there's one where, there's one called Red Sun, that Superman, it's a, what if Superman was born? It's a, There's a lot of what In, in Russia? Of, in yeah. Russia, yeah. Like, there's all sorts of lines like that. And, like, why is that acceptable in comic books, but not acceptable in film? Why can't film just be another expression of the character? Yeah, and it's it's too bad that everything has swung into the dark area. And it's not because I am opposed to gritty, dark interpretations of characters. Even Man of Steel. You know, I think that movie's okay. Uh, it's definitely something different. Uh, I'm not one of those people that, that thinks that just because they tried to do a dark version of Superman that there's something inherently wrong with doing that. Um, <clears throat> my bigger cons- not concern, but my bigger problem is that I feel like they're not willing to try a goofy version again. I wish there was a way for those two to exist simultaneously. And also, like, it's the biggest hero in the world, so, like, it's the biggest superhero in the world. Why can't we have both? Yeah, it's, um, you know, and, and that is why I think this has become less of a, and I am, I'm saying this has become, this still has its reputation, but, uh, it's worth revisiting in the sense that, hey, maybe this, you know, destroyed your childhood version of the 1977 or 78, I think, Superman. But you know what? Now it's a weird artifact. It's funny. You know, you take out the weird kiss raping stuff and uh, you have a pretty good 85 minute movie. It's tight. It is. It is tight and it's fun. And it's something that like I wouldn't mind showing like a niece yeah. Like, my, or my nephew or whatever. Like, I wouldn't mind showing a kid this at all. No, no. It's 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 kind of a perfect... It, it basically, besides the simplistic take on weapons bad, like, <laughs> it, it, it is it is exact... It is a kid's movie. It's a kid's version of that. And that's not a bad thing. I don't see how the, this movie being a cartoon is a knock against... No. Is, is a solid knock against it. I think all the knocks against it should be, like... If this is like not your particular interpretation of it, or like you are really bothered by um, logical jumps, which I'm not usually, yeah, you'd have a problem with it. But I, I just don't. And one thing that this kind of and this is this this movie also made me realize that I really wanted to see a version of Superman that was like it was Army of Darkness, but with Superman, because I feel like there's a lot of comedy that could be my you know in the way that Ash in that movie is basically amazing and perfect and everyone's impressed with him and he really, you know, lives it up in that in that area of like, yeah, I'm cool shit. I would love to see a Superman version based on that because there are little moments like you mentioned where Superman is kind of doing the, yeah, I'm, I'm fucking Superman. Yeah, I really think this movie uh, needs to have its, its wrap just slightly raised. 
I'm not arguing that it's the best of the series. I haven't seen the rest of the series, but I think it's right. It needs to be slightly raised to and more appreciated as a canon movie. This sort of absurd fun thing. Yeah, I totally agree. And I will. The last note I'll have is uh, the funniest thing about this movie is in the DVD set, every single one of the one disc movies or the main disc of uh, the movies has Superman on the cover and for some reason this one has nuclear man why i don't know i just thought it was really weird that is really strange like even the set is distancing itself it's like we don't really want to plan plan for this like no we can't because like you can't remind people that the later entries like are very maligned by both fans and critics i think just as a historical note too this is the first series where you know, in 2006 when they made Returns, that they decided that they were going to follow uh, continuity, but, like, not. And which is so dumb, because there's nothing that happens in 3 or 4 while they're not loved that, like, takes away from... They're just little adventures within the story. Yeah, and and, and I kind of like this strange little world. It, it feels almost like a double episode of a Superman TV show in some yeah. regards, where it's like... Well, we got to check in with Lois this week also. Yeah. It was like a bad episode of news radio. Exactly. People Wait, were well, running in and out of frames. What, real quick question. What was so, what was uh, Nuclear Man's plan with the with Lois at the end? Why was she brought in other than Lois needed to come back at the end and Superman needed to save Lois one last time? I think it was he knew that she, I mean, it's just the old thing, I think, where... But you know, the, was already buried. Yeah, the like, villain knows... I, I don't know. I, I, I seem to remember reading something that he decided he... No, 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 no. That's what it was. He decided he wanted to be Superman. Right? So then he was fascinated with Lois Lane. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. Don't look it up, anyone that would listen to this. That's what happened. I mean, I get that he's like... If he's like part Superman, he'd have similar sexual interests or something. But like, come on. Yeah, that's... <laughs> he wants to... He wants to take away memories from the same person. <laughs> Oh, God, that's terrifying. Yeah. You're just going to keep memory warping her into thinking he's Superman. Yeah. Wow, yeah, but, he is truly the, the worst villain in this movie. But instead of instead of revealing uh, instead of revealing that he's Clark Kent, he just reveals, I'm a hare. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, just be nice. Maybe Lois Lane is into blondes. Yeah. He she does He does have a nice set of hair. All right, so uh, that's Superman 4. If this was a normal podcast, we'd probably have something... To talk about next week, we have a few ideas, a few notes. But it's not all going to be just, uh, hey, here's some bad movie that you should like more. So, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's a pretty good wrap-up for our first episode. Yeah. I had fun, but I'm tired, man. Yeah, I am, I am wiped. to We Love to Watch, 
Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch, or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment, tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.